Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. What up? What up? I forgot to put my microphone in front of me. What the fuck, dude? What in the fucking fuck, dude? My microphone was way over here. I had to grab that shit. I was like, whoa. Don't forget the mic, bro. Don't forget the mic, bro. Yes. Got a good podcast for you today. Man, it's a long one. So get ready to dig in. I bet you the super chat, the super chat that goes live when it goes live is not going to last till the end. <laughs> You're going to all fade. You're going to be like, it's 3 a.m. I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> it's midnight. I got to go to bed. I got to go to work tomorrow or school or whatever you do or whatever you do. Yes, sir. Doc Coyle. The DOC. You know it. The DOC kicking on the podcast. We go deep. We go all over the place. All over the place. We go through God forbid. We go through bad wolves. We go through new stuff, old stuff. Dip into he even di- he dips his toe into the Spotify Joe Rogan controversy. For God's sakes, I haven't I haven't dipped my foot there yet. I haven't dipped my toes in. I've just been like, I don't really care that much either way. But he did, and it was cool. I, I like that he does that. He de- he definitely talks. Uh, he'll talk politics. I think at this point, everybody knows what my politics are, and I don't need to really talk about it anymore. Kind of been talked to death. I'm tired of it. I'm so fucking sick of politics. God. I'm fucking burned out. Fucking all I want to do is talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Beer and pussy. <laughs> that's, what want, that's what I want to talk about. And fucking metal. And that's it. And music. Not even just metal. It could be music, too. I was, I was My son had a lyric video for one of his new rappers that he likes. One of his mumble rappers. I came in and I saw it and I spit that shit out. I was like, I see, I can rap as good as him motherfucker he's like get out get out he was laughing though see i know he thinks it's funny he like tries to my oldest son always tries to like keep a straight face like geez, but i can see he's laughing on the inside and just like you're look don't try and be a teenager i'll try to be cool motherfucker i'm funny you know it you know i got some i got some flows I got those $1,000 flows. <laughs> he was not amused. That's how all the rappers rap now. Got to have this like... It's all in like threes. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one. One, two, three, one, you know. That's where the rhyme falls. That's how you know, man. That's where the rhyme falls. By where the count is. 
Like Biggie Smalls. He always had the one-two, and then he had the rest of the rhyme. Biggie been smooth since days of underoos. Ooh, ooze. Trues, crews, who, bruise, who. You know? Once you find out where the rhyme is, if it's on the two or the four or the three or the six, it all makes sense. Anyway. Anyway, everybody's like tuning out. I'm, I'm turning off the podcast. Rob's talking about rap. I, uh, I was just, uh, I was just having a conversation with, uh, first of all, I got to give a shout out to, uh, Vincent Axel and Frank and Rob at Metal Sucks Metal Injection. They are now, I guess, uh, Rob and Vincent Axel, AKA Ben and Matt at Metal Sucks are moving on. They're moving on. I just had fucking Vince from Metal Sucks on the podcast a few months ago. He's moving on from Metal Sucks. Frank is going to be taking it over. Frank at Metal Ejection, completely taking over all the operations, and they're now part of the Orchard or something. I don't know. Not distributed by them. I don't know. Whatever. And, uh, but yeah, they're moving on. So shout out to them for being super cool dudes. Always been big supporters of Machine Head. And, uh, you know, doing something that isn't easy, which is, you know, unlike most of the news aggregators out there, and there's a lot of news aggregators with zero opinion, you know, those motherfuckers went out on a limb and put their opinion out. Like, they would make opinion pieces, and, you know, it didn't always jive with everybody, but I always respected them for that because it's the hardest part. It's easy to just cut and paste fucking other people's news bits and then just make a little fucking thing out of it. But, you know, to create your own is uh, is definitely a challenge. And so uh, they're going to be moving on. Rob, too. Rob's moving on from Metal Injection. Frank has taken over. So things are changing in the in the North American metal landscape. I was like, whoa, that's a big change. It's a big change. They got Emperor Rhombus taking over over at Metal Sucks now. So, uh, and he, I think he's a good writer. I've, I've, I've liked some of his, a lot of his articles. And I, I thought, I think he wasn't there for a minute. Like maybe he's just coming back or something. I don't know. I'm not too up to speed on everything. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of the end of an era in a way, you know, and a new era will come out of it for sure. But it is a little bit of the end of an end of an era. With Ben and Matt, Vincent Axel moving on. So, uh, yeah, that was the kind of big news of uh, earlier this week. Earlier this week? Yeah, maybe earlier this week. I don't know. It's all starting to blur together now. Um, speaking of that, though, speaking of Vince, I'm going to give this dude a shout out. I'll set this up before I share the screen. I'll share it on the video. You're probably not going to, you're just going to hear it on, uh, on the audio. But speaking of Vince from Metal Sucks, Vince from Metal Sucks, which AKA Ben Yumanov, Monty Connor and I all have a thread that's pretty much solely dedicated to farts, <laughs> like an email thread that's just dedicated. And I can't remember, I want to say it started, I don't know, it might have started because I told some stories about my son, uh, I don't even know. I can't remember how it started. I should go back into the thread and look how it started. But I, it was either that or it was when I was talking about, I was talking about farts with my, oh, that's what it was. I was talking about farts with Ben when he was on the podcast and how like he's got a young kid 
and how farts are just perpetually fun. I mean, they're just eternally funny. And that even now, like as a grown adult, like farts are just fucking hilarious to me. And I can, you know, I, I vividly remember being at, we're in, I was at when we were on tour with Metallica and, uh, we were in Nobu. Get Metallica guys, James and Lars took us out to Nobu, which is a super fancy, you know, Asian restaurant that's incredible. We're in London. <laughs> like, and fucking Headfield's got this fart app on his iPhone. <laughs> and he's sitting there playing all of the fart, like in Nobu, like super loud on his phone. And we're just fucking dying. Like I I was in tears. I was laughing. Sorry. You know, all this is like kind of brand new. So like, you know, I think this is right right when it came out. So you know, it was just so goddamn funny. And we were talking about that and just talking about a bunch of shit. Anyway, he sent me this guy. I'm going to give him a shout out. 66, 66 Seamus, I believe is what it is. And uh, fuck, he's funny, man. He did a whole fart, fart comp. Let me say how do I get to do this. I got to share this. Share screen. Yes. Optimize for video. Yes. Is it this? Yes. And then I go back over here and I press play. Boom. Never gonna give you. <laughs> what is going on, everyone? I hope you're all staying safe out there, and I hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving weekend, Abari. Even though in Canada we had Thanksgiving. That was good. We gotta do it again. Never gonna give you. <laughs> what is going on, everyone? Where he said, this is kind of genius, I gotta say. Any keyboard plugin you can think of, orchestra plugins, and of course, my favorite part, the Coupe de Bari sampling plugins. I have something on here called Drop Zone, and you can literally just drop any sound in hundreds of emails, but some of you guys sent me quite a lot of farts. And I mean a quite a lot. One guy sent me over 500 farts by himself. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I've also learned by listening to hundreds upon hundreds of farts over the last week that, uh, you know, some people are just really gifted they really videos are. of you having died down to 88 far of them, yeah? And sorry. He's gonna... <laughs> that was a good one. William Smith. <laughs> Nick Mosco. <laughs> and Dika Tepos from Indonesia. <laughs> I was just looking. Good going, dumb. <laughs> Brock Cameron. That's a good one. <laughs> Was that real? Who's the last in guys? Wait, what the fuck? Sound like if you stepped on a duck. <laughs> Jeremy Sheridan. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty goddamn good. This one's from Drums360. He calls it the motorcycle. Wet, dude. That was F wet. Yeath. Okay, I saved three of this wet. guy's parts. They must be good. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh. Uh. Oh my God. Holy moly. Dude. Anyway. Anyway. Bobby Butterfield. Pretty good. Bobby Butterfield. Right there. I'm going to give a Side shout out to Bobby Holy Butterfield. Shit, dude, I think I just blew a funny fuse. And some of these are amazing. Those were fucking awesome, though. I fucking love that. That was so goddamn funny. Anyway, we had that going for a while. And uh, we had, oh my God, so many farts, fart CDs going by and then other people. But shout out to 66 Samus for uh, compiling that spectacular 
spectacular fart video. That was epic. I watched the whole thing, and uh, it was fucking, it was, dude, that took a lot of effort, and uh, it was impressive. I highly recommend it. So you can see the title there. But, uh, yeah, go check him out. 666. He's got a good uh, YouTube channel. Metal, metal-oriented, metal and fart-oriented YouTube channel. Anyway, we got, we got Doc. Let's see, what do we got? Let me give you an update here. I'm uh, in the studio. I was, just, I was just hanging out with X Mortis. X Mortis is next door over in Sharkbite. And I've been hanging out with those guys for the whole week. Uh, they've been working on their new album. And, dude, it's a ripper. Fuck. It is some neoclassical symphonic metal mania, dude. Jesus. Fucking shred-tastic. Really good. So I don't know when that's coming out, but super cool guys. And, uh, yeah, they've been doing some ripping shit. Just went to the obituary, uh, municipal waste, decibel music tour. And, uh, yeah, that was a ripper. Fucking gate creeper. Enforced. Enforced killed it. Man, fucking enforced was awesome. Kind of. Kind of, I think people were calling him Slayer Trip, you know, kind of Power Trip meets Slayer. It was a singer's a beast. Um, yeah, I'd love to get him on the podcast. His name is Knox, I think. And uh, I already had Chase Mason from Gate Creeper on. So if you want to dig into the old episodes, Chase from Gate Creeper was on here. Supposed to have Donald Tardy on today, but their bus broke down and then they're fucking late to the hotel. So that'll, that'll come in the future. Um, it's a killer show though. Fucking awesome. Just stacked bill, great lineup. Uh everybody everybody in great. Municipal Waste was fucking awesome. So goddamn funny. Their singers their singer's quite lovable, that guy. <laughs> He's quite lovable. Funny as fuck. The thrashing of the Christ and Art of Partying and yeah. You're cut off, all that shit. It was good stuff. It was a good time. And then obituary to Slade. Fucking awesome. Good hanging with those guys. Kicked it with Will Carroll from Death Angel. We got hammered. It was a fun night. We drank a lot. We drank a lot. We drank a lot. I'm singing the Faith in the More song there. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time. It was a good, good vibe all around. So been having some fun. Wear the mask all night. If you're going to shows, wear the mask. You know, you don't want to be spreading COVID or getting COVID. And, uh... Man, so many shows. I don't. If you live in America right now, it's just the fucking craziest time. Like we just had a hundred thousand people die of COVID in the last since mid December, and fucking, I'm not even joking. There's a show every. If I wanted to go to a show every single day, I could go to a show. It's just the fucking craziest thing I've ever seen. It's two years worth of touring happening in fucking a four month period. It's wild, man. It's wild times. It's the wild west out here. Um, yeah, it was good stuff. Soulfly's coming. I think I might go to that. I might go check that out with Dino on guitar. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Record's done. We've got some interludes. We've been getting the final cover going. Very excited. I know a lot of press has been happening just kind of randomly. Like we got some just like little, oh, it's just like a little studio port, but bam, you know, it's up there. Somebody posted today that you know, his new album sounds like the Black, referred to as the Blackening too, and uh, you know before everybody goes starting with that, it's listen, it's been said, but I don't feel like that's 
the case personally. I think it is, uh, you know, it's kind of a step away from Bloodstone and Catharsis in the sense that it doesn't really have any of the symphonic stuff that we were going for on those last two or three records where, you know, it's a lot of like keyboards and strings and, you know, string quartets and, you know, symphonic elements. And uh, there's definitely none of that. You know, like if it is, it's more like, say, you know, earlier records where it was just all guitars, you know, like, and if it is a symphonic element, it's just created out of guitars, which is what I, that was a conscious choice. I wanted to do that. Like I wanted to just, if it was going to have this kind of symphonic layered thing, it was going to be done with just fucking guitars, man, more guitars. So, uh, but yeah, I'm excited and people are seem like they're getting excited and I'm getting excited and we're just trying to figure out the release date and fucking vinyl horse shit. Cause vinyl's like fucking gajillion years now. End of October for vinyl right now. And I, I don't want to wait until the end of October to put the record out. Too fuck, too fuck vinyl. Fucking, who fucking cares? Put the shit out. Let motherfuckers listen to it. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to figure it out. We'll have to figure it out. I, uh, Last week I talked about the spiders in the bathroom toilets, and you guys got back to me with some stories about that. Got to give a shout-out to Jeff Gomes. He did. Yo-Yo Roberts Gomes. I, too, in my early 20s in a job site toilet had a massive black widow crawl out between my legs, and it freaked me the fuck out. Needless to say, I was check- always checking before sitting rock boulder moving. Uh, pick myself four I don't know what he's talking about here. Something about four wheeling or something, <laughs> and, and naked. And I def, I guess he likes naked defecation before getting in the shower. Hope I don't know if you do that, Jeff, I, or if you just like the idea of it. He just thought it was funny. But yes, many of you wrote in. A couple people left in comments too, and that last uh, about the spider in the fucking toilet, dude. It freaked me out. Freak me out. So, yeah, right on for Gomes. I know Gomes is a big listener. He likes this. I, see, I run into him at shows. He plays in Mordred. So if you guys want to check out, Mordred has a new album out featuring my long, long-time homie Jeff Gomes. Check that shit out. Anyway, I got, I got, God forbid, Doc Coyle from Vegas Nerve, from Bad Wolves. Check this out. Number one song on Spotify is Antihero off of their album uh, Gone Forever. Number one by a long shot, too. I don't there's never got playlisted or nothing. I'm kind of I'm kind of impressed by this. Check this out. I remember, I remember when Colin Richardson was mixing this record. Killer. 
love his voice. Such a good voice. I'm really liking this song. Watch that world. You gotta check out God Forbid, motherfuckers. You never checked out God Forbid? You gotta check out God Forbid. Metal Riff Mania. Riftastic. I'll play you some of this Vegas nerd stuff too. I always thought that stuff was pretty cool. Promise me the world. this out this is this is off of the new bad wolves record right here this is house of cards this is a banger dude banger dude i'm pretty sure this is doc song too let me see yeah house is yeah
is also from their new record. If tomorrow never comes. This is uh, this is a big song for them. This song's called Sober. Try to look all this. This is from their previous record, Nation, earlier record. Song they put out Zombie. Holy shit, it was fucking huge. They did a cover of the Cranberries Zombie. You know what I'm saying? Everybody heard this. Biggest song they got 254 million streams. Holy shit. friends go check out some god forbid check out some vegas nerve check out some bad wolves because right now we have the mighty mighty dot coil no fucking regrets dot coil how are you my friend i'm doing all right you know it's like it's it's tuesday but it feels like monday it does you know um because uh bad wolves we we literally just did like two weeks with uh, DL, our singer in town, just like rehearsing and doing studio stuff, B-sides, doing 
web content, social media stuff. And, and so it's like no days off. <clears throat> and I'm so it's like, I, once he left, I had to take like two days to just not think about the band just to like <laughs> regain my, my soul. What kind of, uh, what kind of, uh, content what is content what are you doing for content i mean tiktok it, skits or something like <laughs> well in truth we there were the plan was to do more stuff like that and we just didn't really get around to it but it's just really just trying to get as much just anything like right you, you probably you saw that clip of us like just playing acoustic you yes. know yes. just things like that that because he's not here he doesn't live here we can't do otherwise so it's like oh let's just get a little thing and i think things like that are cool because you know now it especially if someone who's not out there that much as a singer people that oh is it studio trickery is it you know it's just it's very relaxed it's very human it's like it's not perfect but that's kind of makes makes it cool i i i don't know man like that motherfucker's <laughs> pretty pitch perfect like <laughs> that little clip you put up i was like oh my god like his voice is so good dude like it's just really full and it's crazy yeah it's 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 pretty crazy and then we did a day or just an, an evening with Papa Roach and Hollywood and dead. Cause they, I think it's really cool. They do all this kind of subversive entertaining marketing for, to promote the tour. And so we had, everyone was there and it's, and they, it is like designed to be like skits and stuff for TikTok and, and things like that. And so we, you know, we, we ended up just doing this little clip of us playing this Papa Roach song, uh, Scars. Okay. And it was okay. just like, just off the cuff, like literally, oh, what song should you do? I'm like, what about Scars? And I, I learned the chords and he learns the lyrics and we've seen it. I was like, God damn, this motherfucker can sing good. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty rad. So that was just, and that's going to be like some content that goes up. We already then, put it up. You already did it up. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah just like, yo, so get ready. It? Like it was like a live thing or what, what, what was it? You said we, it was an evening with, but what is that like? No, 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 no. I mean, uh. Pop Roach was in town, like shooting a music video. Yeah, I saw they, pictures of you guys all like together from the tour, right? Yeah, and they do really well on TikTok. They have like a million followers on TikTok, and they'll they'll literally spend a day just doing TikTok content. Okay, um, you know, with their social no media shit, huh? people. Wow. Yeah, they really what put. They, the what do they put up? I mean, I guess I don't. I guess I don't follow them. On dude, TikTok. TikTok is its own world, man. No, I, I love. I love. I dude, I'm all over TikTok. I yeah, think, but I don't post on there, and yeah. I don't follow Papa Roach. So, well, TikTok. it's like, I mean, it's all kinds of stuff. They do reaction stuff. I mean, some of their biggest videos is literally just them reacting to someone singing their song. Okay, you know, That's or cool. the he like uh, Jacoby does this character, this kind of goofy bro character, like where he'll like he'll be him but then he'll do the character and it's like they'll do oh, like right. two yeah, yeah 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 stuff like I love that it. I love they'll it. do they'll do duet stuff where they'll set up like so you can kind of duet to their thing okay. i mean they're they're really deep deep into it and i was hoping we'd do some more stuff like that because we basically haven't done shit in that avenue so but we need yeah. to i know most people most people that i do and even myself have done it wrong you know like because tiktok is like a the people who are on TikTok are so fucking good at doing TikTok, yeah. you know, like the, the, the tool screen thing. And they're like the guy talking to the same guy, you know, like, it's just so good. And I'm like, I, I can't, I don't know if I can do that. Well, I think it's like anything you could, yeah, but you have to put the time in the same way. You got good at guitar. You got good at podcasting, right. Or you got good at singing and worked on it. It's 
like anything else, like the TikTok is the first social media I saw where I was like, oh, that's a real skill set. Yeah. You know, that's not just anyone like you have to obviously have some acting skills or maybe some singing skills or whatever, editing, and then understanding all the little effects that they use and the where the words. I know, you know, dude, like all of it. It's like a fucking whole thing. Yeah, it's like learning Pro Tools or something. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just posted something on my Instagram that I grabbed off of TikTok, which is also a thing that I love that you can just save a video off of TikTok and then share it, which is something super cool. <laughs> and, and the guy was just super funny. Like the whole thing. Was, I mean, I was just watching it right before you came on for like the third time, and I'm just pissing myself laughing like he's just so fucking funny I yeah it. i mean and i'm starting to realize that i think the the lines are basically blurred now between the musician and the content creator and right. essentially if you can do well in one medium right if you can do great on tiktok or do well on instagram or do well on youtube or do well on twitch that's promoting your fucking band you know um and you're gonna create an avenue for for people to to check out your 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 music so and that's something like even like us kind of doing being podcasters and stuff that's one element of it but really taking that full thing seriously will insulate you from the ups and downs in the industries with things like pandemics <laughs> right right totally totally man man there's so much there's so many things that i want to talk to you about and uh I, I love that you're just, we just started talking about social media right off the bat because <laughs> it's it isn't like in some ways and let me let me ask you this because I feel like social media means more in one way than it ever has and it means less than it ever has mm, in what you know, way like, like I remember <laughs> I remember one of the Wu-Tang dudes I think it was uh Fuck, who was it? It was one of the Wu-Tang dudes, like, back in, back in like, the MySpace era. He had, like, 100,000 MySpace followers, and I think only 12,000 people bought the record or something. And he was like, fuck all you motherfuckers. I'm like, you just fronting on my MySpace. And, like, I didn't buy it. It's like, 80, 88,000 of you motherfuckers it couldn't buy my record. Like, fuck you. Yeah, like. MySpace I, had a lot of fake accounts, though. Did it? A lot of, bot, a lot of bots on MySpace. Okay. I don't, I, I was, I never got on MySpace, so I never really knew, but I just feel like, you know, like I just had, um, I just had, uh, fuck Andy Beersack from uh black veil brides. And he's probably the closest person I've ever had to really like a pop star. You know what I mean? Like this dude's got 2 million followers on Instagram. I was like, Holy fuck. Like that's a lot of goddamn followers, you know, like, and, and, and he does it well. And it's, you know, very curated for audience i'm sure it's mostly girls and uh and that's great i mean it's great for him and you know i, I love black veil i love the record the wretched and divine and you know like it was a great interview and a great thing but i'm just but i'm looking at okay you got two million followers you know new record comes out it didn't translate to two million people buying your records or even a million or even half a million or even a hundred thousand you know what i mean like and that's what that's what I'm saying. Like when I say that, I feel like in some ways it's more important than it's ever been because it helped probably keep their profile alive, and you know people knowing what they're doing. But at the same time, you know, and they're doing great. But at the same time, you know, there's not this active buying audience on there. Well, we can't. I think we got a streaming or even streaming audience. 
Yeah, but I think we got to throw out the whole buying. I think that just doesn't okay. matter. I mean, okay. it just really doesn't matter when you have an audience who they just the way they express how they like your band is not by buying your record. It's just not, you know, it's by. Um, I think if you want to kind of gauge passion, right, you have to look at engagement. Obviously, ticket sales matter. I think merch sales matter. I think your VI, you know, how many VIPs did you sell? How many? And I think with someone like that, there is this difference where maybe they just like Andy and they don't give a fuck about his band. (laughs) You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Where they just like the person. And Mm -hmm. so the best way uh, he can kind of capitalize on that audience is by doing things that are solely uh, through the brand of the guy, you know, which is like, if you look at the numbers, like stream numbers on his solo record, huge numbers. Oh, yeah. He did really well. Oh, okay. So, so maybe if it's like, oh, Andy Black, you know, merch line or Andy Black uh, branded product or Andy Black, like, like, do you see the numbers like Ronnie Radke's doing on Twitch? Yeah, it's crazy. Like the dude made a buttload of money on there. And because it's, yes, they're Fallen Universe fans, but they like that guy. So it's, yeah. it's become more about the individual and kind of going, hey, I have this band, which is great. We do all these things, but it's kind of just, I think we all have to kind of create our own little revenue streams and create our own little fan bases that follow what we do, which might be three or four different things that aren't just the band. And the band is a part of something bigger, you know, but ultimately it's, you know, so it goes a little bit beyond that. And yeah, and that, some of that stuff is also not as intuitive. And it's like, well, what if you have 2 million Instagram followers, but you got half of them eight years ago, are they still right. engaged? Who knows? I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, like you should probably just like, if somebody hasn't looked at your page for a while, you should probably just, they leave your following or something. Well, the thing is I've noticed certain people I follow, they don't show up in my algorithm, but if I go to their page, like randomly, like, Oh, what's up with this person? And then I realize I didn't really see their stuff. Then they'll start showing me their stuff. So Instagram is kind of weird with that, where they just stop showing you certain things because maybe they think you're not interested in seeing it so that it doesn't show up in your algorithm where then some people post i'll see like three or four things they posted that day in one feed it's it's strange i know sometimes i see like 20 posts from one dude and i'm like all right (laughs) and and some people do post like (laughs) me and my wife were just joking we have a friend and i'm not gonna name any names but we have a friend it was like 8 15 three posts at 8.15 in the morning, you know, like in a, in a gate. second period, they managed to get three posts. Out. Then it was 8.16, I was like, Jesus Christ, dude, like, that's a lot of posting. More posting than I can manage. If I feel I like I do, to manage. If I do three posts in a day, I feel like people are definitely going to be sick of me. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. And usually I'll go three or four days where I don't post anything. And then. Do you do, uh, do you have that thing on your, you got an iPhone? Yeah. Yeah, you got, you got the thing on your iPhone where you can see how much you've been on Instagram or how much you've been on any of your apps or whatever. Yeah, I think I've seen it where it show like how how much you've just been on your phone and it's it's pretty absurd. Like I'm definitely addicted and it's I don't know, like it's it's this thing like you know, like I I've I've had periods because of everything that happened with with Bad Wolves um through the year where I I just like, "All right, I'm just going to take the apps off my phone and kind of like just not be about it. And it was definitely pretty cool. Um, but it's it's impossible when you're like promoting a record right. or promoting a tour or like trying to get build momentum when you're like if you're not on tour, 
right? Which was basically back in the day, that was our only way to really promote our records, right? right. Go on tour or like do interviews with Metal Hammer or something. Other than that, pretty much the only thing you can do is social media to get the word out. So if you're not doing that, you're kind of doing nothing. Right. <laughs> you're just sitting on your ass and hoping people like your, your shit. <laughs> you know, so it's like trying to be as active in, in the space and kind of, you have to be top of mind, I think, for people. Sometimes people go, oh, I forgot about that. And I swear, that's half, half the way I got gigs in LA, which is being out and about. And people see you and they go, oh, yeah. maybe Doc can but do not this. not seeing on you, seeing social media or seeing you in person? Both. Yeah. But I mean, the, the social media is the online version of that, of being right. top of mind of where a lot of people will go, well, I have times where I think I'm just like struggling or I'm like, man, I'm, I'm just grinding. I'm trying to do this. And people are like, yo, man, you, you killing the game just because of how you present your accomplishments or things you're working on. Right. It gives the appearance that things are doing great. And, and, and they probably are going great internally, you know. The, you know exactly what's happening right the grind never stops and you're like yeah, all these things that are floating in your head and you're like i got this to do i still got this to do it's a mix it's always a mixed bag and it's always like oh i have this one thing working out but if you're like me you're always thinking about the next thing right it's like okay it's cool i did this wedding band gig well okay but what's the next thing what's i love that you brought this up and i don't think artists talk about this enough you know like and maybe maybe i'm just reading into this but I'm like a dude who like, once I've accomplished something, like it's in the rear view mirror, I never think about it, you know? And I probably should think about it from time to time and yeah. maybe even fucking floss about it from time to time. But like it, for me, it's like, I did it. It happened. Like it's done like on to the future. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, per it's always like that. And are, is that, is that you're, that's kind of what you're saying too, right? Like, yeah, to, to some degree, because I, well, I think what I learned um, in the God forbid experience was that you just can't hang your hat on praise for like the last album. It's right. like, okay, I can't, I can't pay any bills with being sick. Right. Or dudes going, man, fucking gone forever. Like, I'm glad you like it, but I'm broke now. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's about creating operations that are sustainable you know, that you can kind of go back to. And the only way you can do that is with consistency. You know, unless you're like Steven Adler and you played on Appetite for Destruction and you're getting that 20% publishing for the rest of your life and you basically are good, right, right. <laughs> you know, and that is the one out of a billion. That's not even one out of a million. Um, we all have to constantly be consistent with our work. And I'm, and I just... It's, it's funny, I kind of had this, this this revelation because of how like hard I'm I'm grinding right now because Bad Wolves is in this strange position where I kind of equate our situation to like if Rob Zombie left White Zombie and then the rest of those dudes are like, we're going to carry on. Like that's how big of a presence we're trying to replace. Like it should not work. This should fail, right? <laughs> on its face, if we're being honest with ourselves in terms of who is getting the attention and who a big portion of the fan base cared about. So it's like when you're trying to do the impossible and I'm coming from a situation where I had a band that had some success and had a career trajectory and I saw the band lose that, I know how easy this is to lose. Right. So it's like, so you just gotta, you have to give 1000%. Doesn't mean it's gonna work. You could work it, you could work as hard as you want, but you can't control everything. You can't force the world to be affixed the way you want it to be. 
And so I'm kind of like trying to ride this balance. I talked about it on my podcast like last week where I'm like, you got to kind of have to, have, I like I, it's a discipline to have that Buddhist element of like not having desire. Of like you want, you're, you're ambitious, but also remember you can't control anything. So bust your ass, but don't, don't get, don't put everything into this has to work out. Go, hey, I did the thing. Now let the universe decide whether it's going to work out and don't be attached, like get rid of attachment in your mind to outcomes. And that's, I'm not saying I have it mastered, but it's something I have to constantly remind myself like, yo, stop trying to control everything. You can't, Yeah, you can't make it be successful. You can try, you can do your best, but ultimately that relies on other people, right? It requires outside validation. Yeah. Right. We need people to stream our records. We need people to buy our merch. We need people to come to our shows. Um, and so it's, it's a weird thing because for a long time, I was like, I didn't give a fuck about that. I was just like, I'm just going to do things. Whatever happens, happens. But now I'm in this position where I'm like, I kind of have to make it work or at least do my best to make it work. You know? I mean, I think that it's pretty impressive that you've managed to get something together so quick. <laughs> I mean, like you haven't really dropped a, a beat at all you know like it's pretty fast yeah i mean we when news broke to now you got a new album out i mean we had dl in two and a half months yeah after um not having a singer and I mean, didn't he say he sent you something like the next day or two days later or something right like, yeah yeah i mean here's me singing to your songs yeah and you know based on his kind of look and his vibe and the way his voice sounded, I was like, being that he was the first person to submit, I'm like, worst case scenario, if we went with this guy, our records are going to sound consistent. And that's kind of a great base to uh, to start from. And it's kind of just, just built from there. But we still went on an exhaustive search. You know, we we got, you know, a couple dozen submissions where we had people just sing on old songs. And then we met six people in person and jammed in a room and then had three people demo new songs. And that's how we kind of, you know, it was important to kind of just meet with people and catch everybody. So everybody that um, came out to the six people that you met with, were they all from America? Like they were all like, yes, California. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we had, or other just all over the States. I mean, I want to say we had two or three California though. I'm assuming. Yeah. And some, a couple of people were lived out here, so it wasn't that that big of a deal. Or they were they were coming from not very far away. <clears throat> um, but but yeah, and a couple of people we we flew out. You know, and you, do you uh, do you then give them the dinner test? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we actually hung out with everyone. And it's just you know, yeah, you want to catch a vibe of the personality. But sometimes you pretty much knew after you jammed, you're like, this ain't the person. But you're still gonna go hang out with them and be right. cool. You know, right. Um, but did you, I mean, you took him out to dinner though, like maybe get a couple of drinks and like, you know, just shoot the shit and see if you hit it off or whatever. Yeah. I'll say the first three people we, we pretty much knew we're like, nah, it's okay. not, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen. It was really the last three that had a chance, you know? Um, okay. and, and it's like, it's no discredit. It actually kind of made me realize that this gig ain't fucking easy. These songs are not easy to sing. The, uh, versatility you know, screaming and the singing and like, really this stuff, like I sing. So I know when something's high, when it's hard to sing and have it, you know, it's, it takes a lot of range. Um, but there was a tonality that was really important for this band to kind of stay on brand. Right. It's like, you know, it's like uh Todd Latore from, from Queensryche, right. 
there's a tone that's kind of sounds like Queensryche that if you don't match or not match, but, but it's, it's not consistent, it's not going to feel the same or like William Duvall from Alice in Chains where you're like, yeah, he doesn't sound like Lane Staley, but it's still on brand. Right. It sounds Alice in Chains ish. Yeah. You're like, this is an Alan Ch- Alice in Chains record. And that is believable to me. And that's right. something where you were, yeah, it's, it's, it's just something that, that that matters and that was like that was the kind of thing that put it over the edge for me it was like it felt the most like the band yeah. you know and i had to because there was someone else i really liked and uh it was a tough choice but if i was being honest with because you can't just be like biased and like pulling for someone because you like you know what i'm saying like you got to try and be honest with yourself and go what is the best decision for the band yeah what um what did it help that DL was from? Isn't he, he's from like Massachusetts, right? Mm-hmm. Originally, yeah. I mean, like northeasterner, like you guys are from. I think John's from Massachusetts yeah. as well. Like you're from Jersey. There's an energy. There's a definitely East Coast energy. There's me and DL go back to 2004, so we're just like old buddies, you know. So there's a there's a comfort level, and there's I mean, and there's half that I think you don't even realize about. Oh yeah, there's the playing on stage and rehearsing, but the 23 hours of the day when you're not doing that, where you're just living together, right? And having to have rapport and having to to get along. And he just seemed like one of the guys, like from minute one. And that that comfort level, it matters, you know, it definitely matters. But the the one thing I'm telling you, the kind of uh, X factor that I didn't realize at the time, and it turned, and it's really the main reason why he was the best person for the job, was he's just not he's very unshakable he's very like you know when we were the band was dealing some very difficult stuff i call him he's like he's how you doing oh man i'm great everything's fine just very calm and chill and he has a certain uh demeanor and kind of ability like cool handedness that you kind of needed to i think take this job because it's just in hindsight whoever took this job was gonna it was going to be tough right um the online harassment and uh just yeah just just negativity like really ugly stuff which is kind of sad right when you when you really think about uh what a fan is supposed to be and how they're supposed to relate to you and kind of the ugliness uh that that's out there it's it's kind of a shame right because you're kind of like there's almost nothing meaner than that, right? You have someone who has a new job, who's out there doing their best, and someone's like, you suck, you piece of shit, I hope you die. And it's like, Jesus, bro, really? Like, like what, did your mama teach you to treat people like that? You know what I'm saying? If like, he, even if he was, and you know, it's so funny is like, if he was the new barista at Starbucks or Pete's Coffee, like, no one would be like, yo, man, the fucking last barista was way better, bro. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, and I'm sure that happens to some degree with, with any band. Our situation, I think, is, fairly unique um and there's certain things i can't really talk about you know and you know but it was it was fairly unique so it's 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 kind of like you know this um test of like will and determination to basically like deal with something that's extremely this negative frequency and then using will to basically get above it and that's dude it's one of the hardest things i've i've ever done because it can it can break someone yeah, you know and it was a very public very i mean lawsuits and you know very very public you know it's definitely not 
anything behind the scenes. So yeah, I'm sure it was tough at times. You know, and I gotta thank you for being out in the public eye like that. You know, everybody's thinking and talking and. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly the thing I don't want to do. I'm I'm pretty like, you know, except what God forbid went down. I wasn't out there like calling Corey a a, a jabroni or something. It's like I love those dudes. And even even when me and some guys weren't seeing eye to eye, I never didn't love those guys or I didn't or I wouldn't want or like with things happen to my brother, like I could say bad things about my brother or things that I didn't like, but that's not anyone else's business. You know, it's not not the way I uh choose to do to kind of handle myself because i think it's not um it's not classy you know it's not uh and so you know even though i got some shit for saying saying a few things uh deep deep in the game um and i think the things i said were kind of like being pushed to the brink (laughs) i feel like at some point you gotta say something but it's not it's not my, my my preference it's just and i don't really like having feuds anyway like i'm the kind of guy like if someone has an issue with me i have an issue with them i want to squash it i want to get past it i don't want to like see someone at the show and have them like mad dog me across the room i'd rather go hey bro we cool can we just like i really don't give a fuck like this community is pretty small and it works best when we're all helping each other because we all pretty much have the same goals you know and it's more than enough to go around i really believe that yeah yeah more than enough what success yeah, success, right. success yeah. you know like i think and i think we're seeing that right now because it's i feel like a lot of bands are doing really well and 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 the bands and this is why I like the thing i i don't know if i i mentioned this on on our show when i had had you on but it's like someone went to bust your balls i'm like yo man you can start bringing some bands on tour again son all right and you start helping these bands out <laughs> <laughs> helping the community rob Remember when Slayer took you out, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> no, because it, it because it is that kind of like putting the olive branch down and and like I I think I respect what you guys did because it was fucking sick, but it, but we this communal aspect of metals took it's so important to me like it really is something I care about deeply you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if every band we've ever taken out has ever f- has truly felt that way. <laughs> Why? You know, like sometimes I don't know. Sometimes you take it to band down. They're just like, Ugh, you know, like what? Just complaining and fucking just a problem. You know, like sometimes, sometimes it's been awesome. Like when we had you guys out. You know, I will forever take this. I will say this till my dying day, Doc Coil. But like that was, that was just such. It it was so great having you guys out just all the time. I mean, we took you out everywhere. Like we just. Love we're the ultimate machine around. head fans though like it was but even like aside from that like it was just you guys were just fun to hang out with and easy and it was just not you know some bands are just fucking you know a fucking drama like it's i got a suggestion for you so yeah. i got the new suggestion here's what you do <laughs> maybe you should make a show out of this <laughs> you do where well, you do your your like podcast you get people on zoom and you basically maybe you'll have like five bands you're considering open the tour and you do like a job interview you know, and you bring them on and you're like, so on the podcast. So yeah. And then you go everybody like, you can, everybody can assess the, <laughs> the job. You show up to your dressing room and there's no beer. What do yeah. you do? <laughs> you gotta like, you gotta see how, how, how badly they want it or how bitchy they're going to be when they, when they get out there. Right. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, sometimes, and sometimes, you know, like sometimes you take a band out. I mean, obviously, dude, we took bands out for fucking decades. Yeah. I mean, like so many. I mean, we broke Meshuga. They fucking took Meshuga on their first tour, you know? Oh. So I. Uh, you help break God forbid. And it's like, especially in America and in, in the UK, like Machine Head was the first, what I call like mainstream metal band to take God forbid out. That wasn't, that didn't feel like an underground extreme metal band or something that was in another it was kind of like oh god forbid they're in this tier now you know and that was a that was a big deal right on now that was it was a great uh, dude i mean like you guys were killing it and you were torn with everybody i mean i must have seen you guys play the pound <laughs> you came through san francisco so many times back in like the guy was it, it must have been gone forever but maybe the record after that too like yeah. that era for sure i remember seeing you guys a lot yeah between 2001 and 2006 we probably played the pound like seven times or something right yeah like it was just god forbid's coming through again and it was like all right let's bring the fucking giant bottle of gray goose and, <laughs> and we'll be getting down after <laughs> well, i remember that one when we headlined the pound with like caliban oh right right and uh, it dies today and you you brought that bottle i was like holy shit that was a good night i bet we and i think we finished it too it was pretty, pretty rage that night that, that was, was that good. was yeah and that was dude we headlines sold it out you know what i'm saying pop it up yeah, yeah. It up. totally take me back to um you know let's you talk i'm sure you can't say too much about current events but you know i'm definitely you know very happy for your success that you're having with the new album and you know the new singer and i think i me and my wife still listen to lifeline regularly like she fucking loves that song like thank she you just think she thinks it's she, lo she loves a lot of the song you know she's not a big She's not really into that type of music. She's not a big metalhead. She's, you know, if she listens to metal, it would probably be like old Sepultura or like hate Respect. Breed or something. She likes hate breed, but, uh, but you know, like she really just, she's like, man, that dude's voice is really cool. So. We have a big, uh, female fan base. I, I think our Instagram data, it's 50, 50. Wow. That's yeah. fucking amazing. Yeah. So it's, that's I mean, amazing. it's. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a, a lot of that uh, had to do with, uh, you know, looks and cert certain things and per persona. But I do think musically, it, it definitely has that kind of, you know, it's it's funny. I called Machine Head a mainstream metal band with this, but we're so much more in that mainstream rock world. Um, and, you know, and, and especially DL, like he has like kind of undeniably just like a sexy sounding voice. Like he has almost a pop voice. Mm -hmm. you know um which definitely is going to have a have, have a broader appeal and it was actually kind of important to us on this record not to like not deviate too much from that because we wanted people to like still have that familiarity from the be able to tie a line between like zombie and like right a song like hear me now or sober from our last record and go okay the band still does that yeah. in addition to being pretty damn heavy yeah I, I I still think I got to get DL on here because it just blows my mind that like for years and years and years, this dude's playing guitar in Acacia Strain, like writing some of the fucking heaviest goddamn shit like out there. Depressing, brutal, <laughs> claustrophobic fucking metal. That's awesome. I mean, it's heavy as fuck. I, you know, those fucking records are just they're suffocating. They're so good. And, and I say that in the highest, you know, the highest compliment because they're just so depressing at times, which I love. And then, you know, not singing, not, 
you know, I mean, granted, there's a little bit of singing in there, but like not anything. Like I never could have in a million years imagined that this dude had that voice. Well, it's funny. You think about the main songwriter from Acacia's Dream, the main songwriter from Devil Driver, and the main songwriter and God forbid get together to make a butt rock band. (laughs) 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 Which is reductive. I'm kind of I'm kind of roasting us, but it is actually pretty funny. And the funny thing about DL is he really gravitates towards the kind of more uh, simplistic and melodic stuff. Like there's a song called Wildfire on the record, which we kind of were like, there was an internal debate about whether to include the song on the record because it was like, is this too mainstream? Is it too saccharine? Is it too kind of down the middle? And he just kind of put his foot down. He's like, I love this song. And I really want, and so he's, and I think cause he, he it works really well with his, with his voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just really into that. So I think it's, it might be this element too, of when you're doing something so heavy and so crazy, you almost want right. to have that moment to do the literal opposite. Right. You know, and it, I and, wonder. And it's, a, and it's a better, you know, it's not the Acacia strain that is going to write these songs. It's a new thing. So it kind of gives it this freedom, this license to do anything new. Well, I'll tell you this. He's been out of that band for years, over 10 years. Yeah, yeah, a long time. And when you like, you talk to him and you see him like, just pick up a guitar or like halftime, he's like, he's actually playing like air drums. Like he's a good drummer. He's kind of like an Adam D kind of Devin Townsend type dude who can kind of just, you know, he might be a little bit of a musical genius kind of, um, you know, savant kind of guy. You know, it's like, I get like, just watching him play. I'm like, that dude's probably a better guitar player than me. You know, seriously, like watching him, just like his vibrato and his technique and how I'm just like, fuck, damn. You know, and there's just some people like that. They're just like, they can kind of just do it all. They just, music just makes sense for them. And, uh, and yeah, it's just a real blessing to have someone that talented in the band because he can produce, he can write, he can, if he has an idea, he can fully flesh it. We can go record with him and, Develop, well, that's something we haven't even really even done yet. I mean, we've done some stuff remotely, but oh, did he? So he recorded the stuff kind of back home. He, we or... did the initial thirteen songs in LA with our okay. producer Joseph McQueen and Josh uh, Gilbert from Asley Dying, who are their production team. Oh, okay, and uh, then and we pretty much thought we were done, but the label was like they wanted something a little more different, you know, a little like outside the box. And so we ended up working on, I want to say, three more songs. And then he would just record. We ended up getting the same mic that we used in L.A. and have had him use that. So there was like a consistency of the sound. And yeah, he just he just recorded himself for like the the extra songs. And one of those songs made the record, which is uh, Springfield Summer. Okay. And, and I think he ended up recording uh, the guitars, like the electric guitars on that. Oh, so okay. and so just having that where you're like. You know, we're not in the studio spending a thousand dollars a day. We're just kind of doing things remotely and we're working over here and sending files. And it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. So in a, in a weird way, this record just kind of scratched the surface of what we can do because he basically came into a record that was 60% done um, with a lot of stuff. We rewrote tons of lyrics and some melodies and wrote a, hand, a handful of, of, of new songs, but it'll be very interesting to kind of start from scratch and with him being kind of involved in 
the overall direction. Cause I'm, I'm a, I'm like a big concept guy. Like I love going to a record with like, all right, here's the intention. Here's the mission statement. Whereas like John is a much more exploratory. Like he doesn't, there's not a lot of foresight. He just goes and does things and it kind of turns into it. So I don't know who, who will, it doesn't always work. Like sometimes I'll have a concept, like it's concept. Yes. And then it's like, no, that was really dumb. So don't, we will not do that. Every concept I've ever tried, never. It always yeah. Just some other. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and by the way, that's, I'm kind of calling myself out. I'm like, I don't know if it really works. It's just, but I can't help but think about yeah. having an idea. It doesn't need to be like, that's we will great. It's like, that's your inspiration. That's where you, that's, what's given you the drive to, to do this. Well, I think about, it's funny, like that, the actual, it's, it's it's funny I'm talking to you because the comparison I made was, I was like, I think this is our through the ashes of the empires. And I think our next record could be our blackening okay. because I think we just discovered something that could lead to something bigger. And I kind of knew that the blackening was going to come. Like I knew whatever you guys did next was going to be like, like that, like the through the ashes was like a appetizer for this, 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 this next thing. And I'm me, I'm hopefully I'm not jinxing us and go <laughs> and say, we're going to have some, uh, you know, uh, groundbreaking kind of critical, critically acclaimed thing. I think, that you will. I think you will, you know, like you'll be, you'll have toured together a lot more. Like after this is all done, like you'll have like a, a unit, you know what I mean? Like you'll know your strengths from playing live and like, you'll, yeah. get, that li you'll get that live reaction. Have you played these songs live yet? Just in rehearsal. Yeah, just in rehearsal. I mean, they like, sound great. Yeah, but you're still waiting to like get that. Yeah, you know, like when you're playing them in front of people and you can see, oh, this is the song that everybody does this or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's um, it's so weird, man, because it's like, I'm I can't help but equally feel excitement, but also like fear. <laughs> like, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like saying like, oh, here here's the thing. It's like oh, you you want, but I'm very confident that the band's going to sound the best we ever sound like we're it's pretty amazing how how good these fucking songs sound dude yells crushing the old songs like awesome. it's nuts like i was like even me i was like god damn i don't know he can bring like that <laughs> um and it's just yeah so it's 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 exciting man uh but i almost feel like sometimes you can't really get too much in like that anticipatory mode you kind of have to just focus on what you're doing don't worry about a year from now, don't worry, we'll just deal with the challenge in front of you, which is like play the first show, then play the next show and whatever. So when does the tour start? It's March Papa 1st. Roach, Papa, Papa Roach, Hollywood Undead, Bad Wolves. March 1st, Anaheim. House of Blues sold out. Yeah, awesome. So one month. Yeah. That was sold yeah, out yeah. Really nice. That's going to be yeah. sick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be fun, man. And, and like I said, we did our first like full rehearsals with with him and you know every day we play like a few more songs and we're tweaking things and we're gonna get like a week week of more rehearsals in but we could do like even what we did we're like man we could do a show tomorrow we'd be fine right you know um and and that i'm i'm definitely when it comes to that stuff i i, I always want to over prepare so that you go to that first show and feel you're not thinking we're yeah. just kind of just playing and having yeah, fun yeah. and you know so yeah, you got to do that. You know, you got to do the lots of rehearsals up to that show so that you can just you're and you're going to be stressed already. So like and it's LA for your opening night, so it's like yeah. as long, the better prepared you are, the better, you know. You well, just, if with us uh, it's like we we bought like 
new computers for the band and new like like in-ear setup so all our all that stuff and like is is set up and i got new ears and everyone's getting new gear and just making sure all that stuff is squared away and it's so funny how technical things are now where it's you just want to you know you're when you're want to operate on a professional level um and you it's it's really important that the band comes off very professionally you know like we, with our stage set up and new backdrop and and you know like the budget isn't qu- quite enough to get like a big light set up or anything like that but we still want the on stage to look badass right. yeah you know totally. that's without a- spending a ton of money right i mean i think spectacle is maybe more important than it's ever been for live shows you know people expect some spectacle you know like they want to it i mean it doesn't have everything doesn't have to be ramstein but like there's a reason that ramstein's so popular right now <laughs> because everybody fucking you know they're playing stadiums because people just that's what people want and that's what people expect and you know like i i get it i love it you know i love putting on a big show i wish we Fine. had a shit ton more money to put on a ramstein level show <laughs> well you're gonna be going head to head with uh amon amar so they're gonna have like what like a fucking um uh viking ship right, right? right. We've what are you gonna that. have you, you're gonna have like I, what, what we're, are, we're not i don't think we're gonna have anything i'm just like i don't what do we like a uh, fucking you know couple of lions or like i'm just like it'd just be so corny to be like in competition with them like they've got a viking ship so you know it's like know. they've got the golden arches we've got the golden arch <laughs> <You know? laughs> maybe maybe to call up limp biscuits see if they'll rent you that big <laughs> toilet <laughs> hey we want to get that they've got a they've got a big we've got a big toilet you know like we've got the streets of oakland i'm not like a bunch of burned up cars or something i don't know a bunch of homeless people we're from oakland we've got a bunch of homeless rvs on our stage <laughs> <laughs> so much just just build a tent city on stage <laughs> we, got <a> tent. <laughs> we got a tent city on stage they got fucking a viking ship i mean uh, you gotta do something bro apparently jamie josta was trying to do something to buy this dragon from dio it was like his stage set like during the holy day he had a, a dragon on stage oh, yeah like, totally yeah he was trying to get people to he buy it. Like, it he battled it too what do you mean he oh, battled fuck. the dragon. Dio wow. battled the dragon. Like the dragon would come down and he had like a sword and he was kind of doing this. I saw that. Amazing. I saw that. It was killing. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Get the dragon, all right? I mean, that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. We'd one up them really big, huh? If we got the dragon. <laughs> could be. Or you could just, you know what? You could have the guy from Burn My Eyes, like make that into a sculpture, whatever that dude is, the right. the, the cyborg on fire man, whatever that guy is. I don't right. know. I could have I could have every yeah I could have like the blackening man and the through the ashes man. <laughs> I just like thing. dress up a crew guy in like. A, <laughs> a, What's it through the ashes? Is that an astronaut? <laughs> no, it's like uh, it's on the it's the gravestone. It's the oh. that baby blue gravestone. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I was like, uh, what came on the other day? Ten Ton Hammer came on. I'm just like, so fucking good. Like it actually made me think about that era. Just like of like Roadrunner and Sepultura and Fear Factory, and now it feel it feels like like man, they just don't make them like that anymore. You know, you just have that moment. I'm, I'm sure, like when our parents were our age, and they just like like Pink Floyd to come on the radio. This man, they just don't make them like that anymore. Like that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it just that much more sick. You know. Yeah, they those song a lot of those songs do hold up really well, man. You know, it's it's crazy to. I mean, it's mind 
mind-boggling to me to think that that song is 25 years old now. <laughs> like, it just doesn't compute at, at any level that that song is 25 years old. And I wrote that song 26 years ago. You know, yeah, it's and, still, and, and it's still heavier than most of the shit on Octane. <laughs> right? Yeah, but, and it's, <laughs> yeah. but it's people are still being influenced by it. Like, we talked about the new Bullet record, the right. last uh, Parkway Drive record has a ton of Machine Head influence on there. And these are fucking big bands. So it's still like, you know, exists in the, in the culture. Even that band, um, Knocked Loose, they'll do shit. I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds like Machine Head or something. Or, you know, Code Orange, I think is right. influenced by you guys. So you know, it's it's always incredibly <clears throat> humbling and flattering to hear it. You know, it's like, it's like, wow. You know, like we, you know, sometimes you think, you know, like, did and you know maybe this is just me but like i'm always just like did anything i do ever fucking matter you know like i just feel like sometimes it's just lost in the void and 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 then you know you hear something like that and you're like yeah like it it did matter you know like it fucking you know people fucking loved it and and it still matters today you know like it and it's hard for me like it's really easy for people to look at whatever our success or things like that. It's very hard for me to look at that. You know, like, like I said, to me, it's always just in the rear view mirror and I'm just going and it's like, I don't think about it. You know, every once in a while, someone will go, you know, something about the blackening or whatever. And I'll be like, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's a fucking good record, man. <laughs> you know, like, you well, know, I'd rather be the guy who wrote the blackening than the guy who didn't. <laughs> you know, like, so. Well, it, it, it definitely sounds like someone who hasn't been on the, played the show in two years I know, because right? you're like you're like does anyone care i just, <laughs> I just sit in my house drinking with my wife in my garage <laughs> i don't know what's going on up there <laughs> i say one thing about you i think that hasn't been copied that much is your vocal style i feel like i'm, I'm surprised more people don't rip that off because that's like maybe the most unique thing about the band yeah. you know maybe when doc cole goes solo i'll start stealing your, your vocal style so just let you know it's, it's, it's out there. I think, you know, everybody kind of takes their own trip. I think it's a little, I hear it. I hear it out there. You know? Yeah. All right. Yeah, all right. But it's like, it's, let me know. I, Send me I some links. Every, I think everybody kind of does their own. I think vocals are so like personal. Yeah. Personal. You know what I mean? And like, sometimes when you copy, like I remember a bunch of people started copying Anselmo when he, when all those records got super popular and there was this local band where the guy, like he, he, he would drink water, like Phil Anselmo. He'd be like, cool. You know, he'd put the, he'd the lip and we're like, stop. Like we were, we, he came up, he was hanging out when I like, you got to stop with the fucking lip and the dude, what the fuck? Like, come on, just be yourself, bro. Like, <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, you could argue Phil was probably was the most single, most influential front man, not just the vocal style, but everything he did on stage, the way he dressed, shaving his head, cr crowd banter for that, from that, like, mid 90s all the way through like the mid 2000s like how many people just stole his whole thing yeah it was i mean it was definitely influenced i mean for me it it wasn't for me i didn't have that high of a range so like i just couldn't do that you know for certainly max cavalera was more like my speed like i was yeah. just like oh i can do that <clears throat> even like burton from fear factory was definitely more like i was like oh fuck that's killer you know like i was really that and probably jerry a from poison idea like those three guys i was like i can do that you know like i can't really do the high stuff you know i can't i loved chris cornell but i could never sing like chris cornell you know what i mean but like that power low thing 
you know, with some singing with some Alice in Chains, because I loved Alice in Chains, and, you know, Adam and I were doing some harmonies, and, you know, we'd, we'd fucking sing Alice in Chains, like, in the car on the way to practice, you know, so shit like that, like, that kind of definitely had, like, more of a, of an impact. Right on, right yeah. on. Well, you're, I, I was with Pantera, though, to me, you're, like, contemporary, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, I was technically predate Pantera with violence, you yeah. know, so, like, we were playing thrash and stuff like that i mean we knew who pantera was like they were like the poser dudes in texas because <laughs> yeah. like, they were like super popular and we were just like these these poser dudes are popular you know this is with the old singer too you know like this is what you know even predating all that so like we had been hearing about them for some time and then it was like oh they went heavy oh okay cool <laughs> and then they became the best heavy band around tell me um Tell me, uh, who's been, I was just listening to your Lombardo podcast. Cause you were, I read an interview where you were just saying how you were just like, oh my God, this was the best podcast. And it was like, I got to ask every question and, you know, for all you don't know, but uh, doc's got an awesome podcast called the X-Men, which is, has a, uh, the premise is you're, you're an X band member and what are you the X band? But you know, and that's just kind of the premise. You go all over the place and talk yeah. about a million things. But you were saying that he was your your best guest, and I went. I watched a bunch of it, and I could tell you were just fucking pinching yourself the entire time. You like, you had just the biggest smile, and you know you did a great job. And uh, you know what what was it about that particular interview that just was so cool for you? I mean, he's my favorite drummer. Period. I mean, um, and you know, having the opportunity, it wasn't like I went in. And didn't know him so it wasn't like this weird thing of like i can't believe i'm talking to dave and barter like i'm i'm buddies with dave i played on stage with dave um and toured with him and hung out with him so there's a rapport there but i think just the generosity of his time and kind of openness um i think it's a long it's, interview it's like almost three hours right yeah and that that's what i'm saying is like it wasn't uh i think this this thing right to do kind of what we do and have it work is just a never lose that fan in you never lose that appreciator like one of my favorite things about your show is that little bit before the interview where you like play clips and talk about why you like it or you're just because you're just a fan right and it's the same thing like when we, when we would tour together we'd be backstage and you'd be i, I can't think about how many bands i discovered because you like were playing something or like you'll put out like oh here's my top 10 records and i'm like because i know you're just someone who loves music so you're just and it's never like oh i'm on this level and just because it's a new band or whatever that there aren't it's just it's all it's just either it's good or it's bad and just having that appreciator and, and being and being a fan and then go okay what i'm gonna do is ask the questions that interest me and go hey this is my one chance to talk to one of my my idols and ask them all the stuff that probably would be a little awkward if you asked just hanging out you know like it'd be like because no one wants to be interviewed right. when they're just hanging out so it's it's a way it's just a great privilege to have access to that person for that time and go these are things i always wanted to know and if i really want to know them then there's probably a good chance that other people do so a lot of people what people will tell me that they liked about my show is that i asked the things that they always wanted to know 
you know, and then try and like, and someone brought up this point, which was great, is like that you had John Petrucci on your show and I had John Petrucci on my, on my show, but they were completely different interviews, right? Because your interest point or your connection with him is probably vastly different and our, what would, what might come to us would be very different. And so I think a couple of times I might've like, maybe we had the same guest or maybe Justin, I would purposefully listen to that one so that I didn't right. ask the same question. Yeah. You know, um, but I know like it, like, I think our shows are a little bit more similar in, in structure, whereas Justin seems like it's very just off the cuff and he kind of just starts talking and they just kind of talk about whatever. It doesn't seem to be like as structured, but, but I like that. I, I like that. Okay. What can I ask that is conducive to what I, my personality and the things I, I want to know. And it, and it always kind of just com comes off that way. And just, and then you, you know, the numbers on that show, it's like my two biggest shows are Lombardo and John Bush. That was, that was just on like, apparently if you have big four dudes on that don't do a lot of interviews, people, it seems to pick up a lot of steam, you know? Yeah. How was John? <laughs> was that a good interview? John Bush? It was great. Honestly, I, I was worried because I only had him for 40 minutes and I was like, it just went right by. And I was like, man, did I even get to get stuff? And then when I listened back to him, like, actually, man, I actually did a lot of, I got a lot done in a very short amount of time. Um, and it was great, man. He was, it's same thing, just so generous, so kind and, and, uh, and willing to talk about things. And almost the same thing where I was watching the anthrax. Did you watch all that, that, uh, documentary thing they mm -hmm. did? I watched some and, of it. I didn't watch all of it, but yeah. And I, I, well, I, I didn't watch all of it either. I watched a few episodes, but then I made sure to watch his era stuff so that I didn't just go like, what's the point of him just repeating the stories that he told in, in, in an official uh, anthrax documentary, right? Like, like that's not that really that informative. It's like, okay, well, let me, let me find some of this like nitty gritty stuff and like real fan shit, just like, uh, and, 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 and it just turned out great, you know? And I just, but I'm just grateful that these, any of these guys would give me the time of day. You know, and that's that's just it's just I like I said, I feel it's like it's a real blessing and a real privilege to have the opportunity to talk to him or talk to D Snyder or, or uh, did you have D and like KK Downing? Oh, good. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's like crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Like, like, why? Like, why are they talking to me? Like, Dude, that's the crazy KK Downing. I, I swear to KK Downing was like bucket list shit. Like I was like I wanted to be KK Downing when I was a kid. Like the reason I play a flying V is because of KK Downing. Like yeah. I stared at the cover to Unleashed in the East by Judas Priest for probably 48 hours of my life. You know, like <laughs> I was like, this is the coolest band I've ever seen in my life. Like, I mean, I want that guitar right there, red and white. But I think it was like a hammer or some fucking rando fucking like flying V. Like, you know, but that was, it was just so, you know, and there's even times when I'm talking to him and I'm literally flashing back to staring at that album cover. Like, okay, stop. Like, get back into the fucking moment here. Cause I'm just, you know, it's, it, it is, I know what you mean. It's an honor, you know, and it's, and it's, and the thing that I think that, you know, you can probably agree with this, but like you would, if you ran into KK Downing at an awards show or at a festival or, uh, or Dave Lombardo and like, you wouldn't have this conversation. You know, you might have like a conversation like, oh, hey, what's it, you know, five minutes or whatever it ends up being, you know, and it would be good. But there's something about this medium that allows you to have a conversation about 
shit you probably would never ever talk about unless you were like on tour with them for three or four months. Yeah. And and the funny thing is now that I've been doing it, I'm five years in doing this. Because now I kind of know what I'm doing in terms of uh shaping an interview and you know, interview in in kind of kind of loose terms in, in terms of shaping a conversation so that it feels like it has an arc, it feels like it has flow, it never gets boring. Um, being reactive, right? Not being tied to a list of of questions or or, or bullet points, and kind of uh, fe- feeling the conversation in in, in real time. So it feels you write, organic. you write down questions. Either sometimes it's like questions, or sometimes it's more just like a subject matter, right. okay, gotcha. or or an era. And sometimes I I put it there. So sometimes with the purpose of not even really looking at you looking at it just so sometimes just i do the work it's it's better when it's kind of just it's in your head but then it's there if you need to reference it where you're like i literally don't know what i'm going to talk about next or if you feel like a certain subject has kind of gotten beat down you need to like let's let's transition out of this right um but i remember I, like when i was before i started the podcast but i, I was writing for vh1 and i i did a couple of interviews with Kerry King and um, Tom Mariah for, and it was going to be for print, you know? So I was just doing the interview, but I, but I remember feeling just like so awkward and so stiff and, and just barely hanging on. Right. <laughs> Whereas like now, if I did those interviews, they'd be a thousand times better because I, I kind of understand the flow of it. And, and the, I, I'd say the one thing with my show, because it is a bit more like trying to establish an arc and kind of tell a certain story is man, we all go through the same shit, you know. It's it's amazing how how many of uh, artists where they have like these different eras of their careers, and this doesn't work out. So they 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 work on the next thing and they figure it out, and and you know, and and trying to find all those points of like for the people listening to the show that are perspective musicians or creatives who are trying to make it and go like, don't get discouraged, man. This, this shit happens to all of us, right? We all have these down points or we all have this stuff that we got to work through. And yeah, it's just, it's cool to have that as a resource to go, okay, I have a hundred stories from successful musicians. Mm -hmm. And what are the, what are the things that tie it all together in terms of these are the principles you should follow if you want to kind of have a, any kind of career in this, in this, in this field. And it, and it, and it does make sense after a while when you kind of put it together. I, uh, I, I, two things are going through my head right now. And one of them, they're not really connected, but uh, back to John Bush for a second. Isn't it crazy that John Bush was almost the singer for Metallica? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and it's, it's funny because. Did you guys touch on that at all? A little bit, a little bit, but that was, it was, I feel like that's something he's talked about quite a bit, actually. Um, So I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I always try to have a lot of empathy for the individual I'm talking to. So if I feel like someone, maybe they've done a bunch of interviews and it's like this one thing that they're constantly being asked about, I like go out of my way not to, I, I, I want them to enjoy the interview. And you know how it is, right? When it's, you have a record out, and you've got 10 interviews in a row and you're, you answered your, you're in your eighth interview in a row where they're asking about the lyrics to that one song right. <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, Oh, 
Phil's out of the band, right? Like you gotta, you gotta have to tell that story for the for the twelfth time in a row, right? Right, right. Um, and and you can and so it's like feeling that uh, you want to avoid that. You know, I do at least, and I want I want I want to and and I always find there's always other things and different ways of looking at stuff because, like I said, if someone listens to Josta, Rob Flynn, and Doc. Yeah, they don't want to hear the and, same interview. Yeah, and yeah, and then when they know, oh man, I know I'm actually going to get a different vibe. Right. That's fucking cool. Yeah, um, and it's something I I I think about because I I would actually prefer not to talk to someone if they're doing the rounds. But if it's John Petrucci, what am I going to say? You fucking no, hell no, <laughs> right? Right, right. Did, so. Um... You know, that, well, the crazier thing to me about that is this: that Hetfield was so insecure that he <laughs> thought he needed another singer. You well, know, I think the thing that actually, always blows my mind all these years later. I will say though, I think technically he might be a better singer than Hetfield, like in terms of just oh, yeah, physic- physically sure. the things he can do. Right. Um, totally. But He's a fantastic singer and a dude, fantastic nuts. frontman. I mean, I saw them Armored Saint open for. Metallica on the Ride the Lightning shows at the Kabuki in San Francisco, and I'm not even exaggerating this. Like they very nearly blew them off the fucking face of the earth. I mean, John Bush in particular was a fucking lunatic and just running all over. He was awesome, you know, falling on the stage and drinking and singing, and like it was fucking awesome. I mean, we were all watching like, holy shit, they're killer. And Metallica came out and were great, but like. There was kind of a crazy chaotic like punk rockness to John Bush that just made it a little more exciting. You know? Well, that and that's probably why Metallica was interested interested. That's why Anthrax offering the job is right. he's he's a, a unique and special talent. And it's the one of the things that I I realized uh preparing for the interview was going back and listening to those records and going like they're even better than I remember. Yeah. Totally. Right. We're, like there's like records that well records that i kind <clears> of <throat> hadn't gone back and listened to a lot like volume eight or um so, or uh sound four four two. Oh, okay so. yeah even even sound right like sound white noise i think is the one record that he kind of gets credit for like just like because it, it, it went gold and the band right. was still doing really well the other records i feel like are a little more unheralded and then i went back and listened to them like i'm like yo there are just straight up bangers like all-time bangers on this on, on on the record i was like dude people and it's kind of bums me out that anthrax doesn't play any of those songs i'm like there's no reason why they shouldn't play some of those songs you know um and i think to some degree the the reason is their fan base really seems to connect with the joey stuff and maybe would feel like left field maybe just coming with, with something but what doesn't die, I don't think would feel left field. A safe home to me wouldn't be left field. I think they should just would. lie and be like, This is off of Among the Living. <laughs> yeah. This is it, off of Armed and Dangerous EP. Woo. And then play it and they'll be like, Yeah. But dude, it was the same thing when like Testament first got started kind of getting Alex Skolnick back in the band and they were doing those uh those kind of tours really focused on the first few records. And I would get pissed off because I like I want to hear low songs. I want to hear gathering songs. I want to like don't just like there's great songs yeah well no but i actually personally like that era better okay you know um and i love i love the old stuff but i'm like low is probably my favorite well no the gatherings was my favorite record but low is probably right after that but all those and i love those older songs but it's not like 
one record in particular. It's more like I, I view that the early stuff as like one big piece of material. Okay. Um, and it, with great with great songs, but it's like I will. I just want to hear everything a band has done. Like I really love those Metallica shows that, that we went to where they played a song from every record. Right. Like that oh. was that was fucking cool. Was pretty wild, right? Yeah. And it's but they can do that's that. Deep fucking cuts. <laughs> I know, but that's what I want to see. I don't just want to see Master Puppets and Inner right. Sandman. And man, and yeah, it's like matter isn't. Yeah. It, dude, I remember I saw them. They did they did this uh Grammys after party at the Palladium in, in LA. And it was Metallica. the day was that Metallica, Metallica yeah. Did. Okay. And it was the day that uh Rob's mic. Uh, Rob, uh, James's mic went out uh, when they were singing with, with playing with Lady Gaga. Oh, right, right. So okay, it was like, it. you know, a shit show of a, of, a, of a day, you know? And so they ended up showing late and they just did 45 minutes and they played every hit song and that was it. <laughs> it was just like, nothing else matters. <laughs> Enter Sandman. Okay, gotcha. You know, Seek and Destroy, it was like this, the, the main songs they play at every, at every show and I was just kind of like, it was cool, but I was, it's just, wasn't that psych? Like I, I, I'm just all about the deep cuts with Metallica, live. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about that's kind of going back to something that you said was that you know you were talking about the podcast and the premise of it, and you know you've got this catalog of of musicians talking about their struggles, you know now at this point, and that if you know you're kind of saying that if if uh, you know if you're going if you're going through this, like we all go through this, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I, I got to say for. To, you know, we've been talking about anthrax for some time now, but we're, I wanna, I'm going to continue to talk about anthrax. <laughs> but Scott Ian, uh, this and this is back in the day. This is before podcasts existed. This is like a Metal Edge interview that he did, kind of during their down. This is probably the Stomp Four Four Two record, or you know, some some part of this era where anthrax is kind of in a valley. You know, like as a lot of bands go through, a lot of bands go through valleys and you know peaks and valleys, and you know, the guy was just like, it, 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 it wasn't condescending, but it was definitely like, what do you think went wrong? It was just like, it was pretty, I don't want to say it was harsh, but it was just like, whoa, like, that's that. And, uh, and I remember reading it and I, like, he gave such a fucking good answer. Like it was such a, what do you say? It, it was just so scathingly honest like he was like we fucked up you know like he was like we you know we got we got away from the thrash we kind of got lost in what we were doing we uh you know we had a slew of kind of like corny song you know he just really broke it down and he was just like you know up until that point i had never read an interview with a, a musician talking about what went wrong or the flaws or the bad choices they made or that, you know, like it was, it was, it kind of like blew my mind, you know, like, and it really like, I had loved anthrax up until that point, And I, you know, I wasn't like a, I didn't not like Scotty and I didn't anything Scotty and I didn't really care about Scotty and at all. I just knew he was Scotty. And, but after that, I was like, you know what, man, like that dude's fucking, that dude's awesome. Like it was just really, you know, it takes a lot to say that to, the press to in an interview, you know, like most people just go, what are you talking about? Like, we're still fucking crushing it. But you know, like, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, that's what people do. You know, you just, it's like fucking, 
that's like one of the rules of fucking being in a band like just fake <laughs> fake it till you make it right like <laughs> and uh i don't know i just i you know i gave him he was on here a couple months ago and i just gave him i was like you know that interview really just like blew me away and, and i listened to the first stu- and really stuck with me for a long time like stuck all these you know this probably almost 20 years ago and this i can still remember you know the, i can't remember exactly what he said but it was just the feeling that it left me with just such honesty and going yeah and you, you, i'm probably going to go I, there's going to be a time i remember thinking that there's going to be a time when i'm in that dude's position this is this ride's going to end somewhere like it's not going to all be the gravy train like it's going to stop and people are going to whatever talk shit or hate me or whatever you know and and you know in in those times i often thought back to that interview and was like yeah man just remember what what he said and and then look at that motherfucker now like you know they're playing fucking yankee stadium and you know they're you know like well, I mean, Game the, of Thrones. <laughs> you know, like, but there's a lot of similarities to me between Anthrax and Machine Head because you're two bands who are willing to take risks. Yeah. You know, um, not every band is willing to do that. Hmm. Um, and so, and, and, and it's like, and I wonder if you were inspired by that, right, with your blogs, right, where you would kind of like put it all out there and talk about this era or talk. And it's, it's funny seeing you like almost evolve with like uh like maybe like certain records you're like kind of poo-poo but then a few years later like no that record is kind of (laughs) sick you know um kind of kind of come back around on certain things but dude I, i remember just watching it was like some documentary you put out about through the ashes and like when you guys like didn't you know didn't have a label and like oh right right you were just and just talking about how rough it was how like no one would cover the record like you couldn't get revolver wouldn't even do like a a review or anything and it's just like dude it's just they wouldn't do a review they wouldn't do an interview they would they would promise us okay sell listen we'll give you an interview if you sell thirty thousand records okay so we sold thirty thousand records well, we'll give you an interview if you sell 50,000 records. We're like, wait, uh, okay, you know, so then we sold 50,000. Look, we'll give you an interview if you sell 75,000. <laughs> like, it kept on, like, the bar, they kept on moving the goalposts, and I'm just like, listen, you, like, what the fuck? You know, and then finally, like, we get to 75,000. Look, the record's too old. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we're like, you motherfucker. <laughs> You know, and then like they fucking blackening comes out and they like all they do is re- they won't give us an interview for the blackening. They only give us a review. I'm like, <sighs> you know, like it just, you know, the shit that's like shit like that's just like it's it was so fucking painful at the time. But it's just like like how, you know, tragedy or comedy is tragedy over time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so now like you're going to look back at all this time that, of stuff you're going through right now and it's going to be really funny in like a year or two. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm telling you, like five or five years. I have this whole perspective, though, that I just don't I don't really have grand expectations about, oh, this I just I'm used to things happening, cresting, going down and ending. Like so I'm so like if I just feel like anyone that has a career, any decent career in this industry is kind of a miracle. Yeah. You know, especially if it's like an original band where you're kind of building it from from the ground up so just having just a shot to have a you know if i'm just if i'm paying my bills and i'm 
doing okay and I'm not, it's not a crazy struggle. And, you know, I'm like, I'm doing better than 99% of people in this industry. And that's kind of a cool thing. You know, it's not about necessarily, I'm sure there's that certain class of bands where it's pretty predictable about where they're at and that they're very uh, solid and very secure in their, their position, but not everyone's in that position. So you, so you have to go, Hey, this is pretty badass, and I don't know how it's going to end up, but that's okay, you know, because you kind of in the long arc, things tend to work out, right? Even if, you know, I know I, I just have that 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 kind of perspective with it's like, dude, I'm going on tour, that's sick, <laughs> you know, like it's like because I've gone on tour in two years. This is a it's a privilege. It's don't I'm you guys very have like seven number one active rock singles or something. Six, <laughs> six, yeah, yeah. This was our this is our sixth. That's so insane. That's so fucking awesome. Hey man, it's I mean, really all the you know, credit I, I think goes to our label and Jackie Kaiser, yeah, Tenth Street, you know, really, really working it. And you know, I think the songs definitely help. I think you know, it does well with the with the format. And it's really the one thing I think we can hang our hat on right now is is radio support. And so like the next thing is like going back to those towns that play that played the, played the record going, you know, making connections with the, the radio stations, doing acoustic performances, doing meet and greets. And, you know, that's kind of, it, it just gives you enough juice to hopefully translate to something bigger out, out outside of that. But it's, it's, it's a big deal. And I think, especially with the new singer, there was, you know, I, I, <laughs> this one guy, well, like, like right when the, I think the song, it, debuted at number 28 which is fucking high like it was the highest debut we so ever had i think that's i haven't even my highest charting it's <laughs> like 38 yeah. it was so it was like the and fastest, that was, and that was three months of being on the charts <laughs> so that was the fastest rising single we ever had and we were like yeah. and i put po- i posted that and i got guy yeah, goes man it would be number one if uh you know right and i go and i go <laughs> i go dude this this is two weeks. It just came out. I'm like, I'm like, when it goes number number one, will I get an apology? And he goes, yes. <laughs> so I didn't say if. I said when it goes number one. Nice, nice. And then it went number. And, and I kept that back in my head. As soon as it went number one, I was like, where's that apology? <laughs> you hit him up in the DMs like, where's that apology, bitch? No, I I, I put in the comment because I pinned it. I oh, pinned okay, it. Gotcha. I pinned it. I was like, I want people to see this. And you know what? It's funny. A lot of people like that. It seems like they're talking shit, but it's like, I think a lot of those people just got caught up in the moment. Cause I've had a lot of those people who are like, yo, I was hating, I was talking shit, but no one listened to record. It's actually sick. So a lot of times you gotta take it with a grain of salt that it, it's just social media environments tend to kind of bring the worst out of people, but sometimes it's momentary and it's not yeah. necessarily where they hate you or whatever. They're just, it is, it, it is, it is what it is, you know? And I, I have a very comfortable relationship with like, kind of a certain amount of shit talking i think is actually really fun and yeah. funny and funny. Um, yeah especially if it's funny it's really good oh dude like when like like if they make a funny joke about me like i'll you know like i'm like that was good you dick <laughs> yeah yeah dude i literally took a comment someone made on landboat and made it like a meme put it on a t-shirt <laughs> and i thought it was so funny <laughs> you know and it's like and i'm like oh that's kind of true <laughs> he's kind of got me there it was literally like when bad bulls first came out our first video and this guy goes man 
I give it to give it up to Doc Coyle. That dude sure is forever committed to being in some band. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm like, I, dude, it's and I put it on a meme and people went crazy. I put it on a t-shirt. It's fucking great. That's, good. That's a good one. It is good, dude. Lamb goat. It's 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 the best. It gets ugly sometimes. It does, but they're funny. God damn it, when they're funny, they're so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll 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 take it. And I'll say this: no one really talked that much shit about God forbid, but we were never that big. Like I've kind of noticed with like battle, like right out of the gate, people talk ton of shit shit on us. But I saw the numbers the band was doing. I was like, I guess people kind of talk shit about you when you're doing well, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, like, and you guys had a lot of success right off the bat. I mean, like, zombie, zombies, platinum, right? Yeah, that's the platinum single. Mm-hmm. It's fucking crazy. I mean, that's but, fucking insane. Like, yeah, but we don't have any other second, ones. Second or third single, or was it your first? Yeah, it was the first single. Oh, fucking! Hell. I mean, like it, like radio single. I mean, we put out a we had a couple songs, a couple tracks. Out. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I wow. mean. So I think something like that, it's like it's a blessing and a curse because it's a it's this weird thing where the song is still bigger than the band. Right. But I kind of look. I, it's like I kind of started thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? It's kind of because you look at our like monthly listeners. They're like insane. Right. On 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 Spotify. Like we're like in the top, you know, I'd say like 50 or or. 75 like rock, like hard rock. bands. like it's pretty crazy. Yeah. But a lot of it really is just that song. Right. It's a lot of these window shoppers. But I was like, you know what, though? They are stopping by the store. Yeah. So it does. You, you know, it's it's like I was thinking I, I, at some point I was thinking that you kind of look at a band like, oh, what did their last record sell? What did the last record stream? But I'm like, and, and that makes you think how big the band is. I'm like, but that's actually not true. How big the band is the kind of collection of their brand. Right. The new record is just a new record. But people might look at Machine Head or Bad Wolves or Iron Maiden as just like, well, it's Iron Maiden. It kind of doesn't really matter what they put out now because I love Iron Maiden, right? And I was like, so it's really this weird thing where we're all sitting around trying to figure how big the band is. But no one really totally knows. (laughs) Like, it's a weird thing. Like, you're like, well, what are we worth in this market? Or what are we, because we just haven't tested the waters yet. And we're we're about to find a lot of that stuff out. It's crazy, though, that isn't a bunch of that those platinum sales a lot of those are like itunes downloads and stuff right it's still in which the, is it, crazy <laughs> like, yeah i don't need like that's just insane yeah but look at itunes right like look at the top songs it's inner sandman and it's right don't stop believing and right, it's right. bohemian's rhapsody yeah, it's like yeah. the actually yeah, i just i just great. well i sort of saw the statistic that something like 75 percent of all music consumption is old music i just saw that yeah and yeah, I, and I totally, you know, you think about it too. Like, new bands have to compete with the fucking entire catalog of music that the world has ever, from Led Zeppelin to Beatles. Yeah. To, you know, like, and the likelihood is your shit is not as good as the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. <laughs> That's right. It, it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> it just isn't. Just accept that fact and, like, you know, be good with the little niche that you get. <laughs> Dude, it's 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 hard, but it's this it's a result uh, primarily of like out algorithmic um, self-sorting is that what happens is things become feedback loops. Yes. Right. So that let's say you have your top 50 songs on Spotify, like all songs. Right. Right. 
the producers and writers who are writing pop music will look at those 50 songs and go, oh, I need to make stuff like this in these keys, in this format, this, you know, kind of uh, timbre and using these instruments. So then, and then those songs will get reinforced and it becomes a circle of people emulating things because it responds to the algorithm and the algorithm gives it more of what it wants. And it, uh, and a lot, it works a lot of that way with old music because a lot of what these people are doing is actually going, oh, this old song, this Michael Jackson song has 800 million. Let me copy that. And it just, it's this weird, it's this weird thing of kind of having that access that it's like, yeah, if Thriller's on, I'm like, is the new weekend better than Thriller? Probably not. Mm. Even if, oh, it's good. Yeah. You know? I tell you what, I got to say, I'm super annoyed with the Spotify algorithm right now. In fact, I'm not even annoyed. I'm fucking pissed off at it. In what way? I'm, like our top for numerous reasons. I'm gonna go on a little rant here. Yeah, rant it up. Yeah, fucking we've got uh you know, you're talking about you know the old music and the algorithm and all that stuff. So right now, you know, back in nineteen ninety nine we put out a cover of Message in a Bottle on uh the Burning Red. Mm-hmm. Most every machine head fan at the time pretty much hated it across the board. <laughs> And we we played it one time live, and it was a fucking dud of all duds, and we never played it again, and we've never ever played it again. I I never even thought about it again. Like it was, I didn't even want it on the goddamn record, but I got outvoted. <clears throat> anyway, uh, now all these years later, it's in our fucking top ten for no fucking reason other than I'm assuming that like Rhino, whoever the fuck owns, you know, Roadrunner now or whatever those songs are is like putting it on a bunch of playlists or whatever. It's literally for probably over a year now, just hovering in our top 10. It's like number six or number seven. I'm like, look, no machine head fan period. End of story gives a fucking rat's ass about this song. Get it out of there. Get it out of our top ten. You know, right now your 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 zombie cover might not be as high as it was if it were not for the algorithm. You know, because I f- really feel, and then I started noticing it across like all of these other bands' things, where like if you did a cover of a popularish song back in the day, that song is now in your top ten. So now I got "Hallowed Be Thy Name," which genuinely is a very beloved Machine Head cover that we did. But it's below message in a bottle. And I'm like, fuck that. But here's the thing. And this is what you can't be certain about. That some of that is just organic. And ultimately, you're not in control. No, but I'm saying you're not in control of what people are connecting to. Here's the thing, though. Not a single song from the Blackening is in the top ten. Not one. Okay, but the okay, but the deep cut from the burning red. Come on. Okay, but the but the top ten is not just all you the views in order of what has it's it's reflecting what's kind of getting the most activity currently. Yeah. So so it's not. I don't think it's something that they control. It's just like that's. I don't know. I it's fired. As far as I'm concerned, it's fucking. Well, your Spotify. I think the people have spoken. The people have spoken, it needs to be in the set when that Amanomartor needs to open with it and close with it. That'll be the set. That'll be the stage set. A giant bottle. (laughs) 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 They got the Viking ship. We got the giant bottle. (laughs) 
Or you could have the bottle with the ship inside it. One of those things. I'll just have giant vodka bottles on either side of the stage. That'll be that's our prop. Listen, I <laughs> we'll mean, we'll just periodically lean down and drink out of them and then put them back. You never had a meeting with like Grey Goose? Get mail, you know, do some sponsorship stuff. You know what? I've reached out to them. And I've, I was like, I'm a long, I mean, a decades long champion of your product. I still drink it to this day. It's, it is my favorite vodka and, uh, yeah, fucking sponsor my podcast and give us <laughs> free vodka. <clears throat> still waiting on the email back. Still, I'm still waiting on that email back. God damn it. <laughs> what actually, what I really want to do is I want to make Imperium vodka with gray goose collab machine head, gray goose. That's my ultimate goal. The free fucking whatever fucking. I'm ready. I digress. Let's do it. I'm just now. I'm, we're now going off on a tangent. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if I. I just don't. I don't. I don't buy it. I don't think it's. I don't think it's good. You know, like another thing. Let me ask you this. I'm. Um, this is another thing that's super annoying to me. And you know, before all the news aggregators go, you know, picking this up and like, oh, Rob Flynn went and dissed this guy. You know, it's so a ghost domain. Hmm. Ghost Domain, who is, let me just say this first and foremost, I love Ghost Domain. It shit, this shit is right up my alley. I am a longtime hip-hop fan, and I've been waiting for the return of, like, dark, fucked-up, evil note hip-hop and fucking crazy sounds and more, like, soundscapey, like, 90s fucking East Coast rap. Been waiting for it, you know? So this shit's right up my alley. I'm total fan. But he's had the number one song on Spotify, number one metal song for 14 weeks now. Mm-hmm. And now this new kid, Kid Dracula or some shit, just came out. Another straight up rap. These are just straight up rap tracks. There's no guitars, no real drums, not even heavy singing. It's now in the top 10, probably going to be number one. And I'm like, what are you doing, Spotify? Like, like I said, big fan of Ghost Main, but it's not metal. I mean, I don't, I listen to his record and I think culturally it's metal. Like, in, and there is guitars and there's stuff on there that sounds like Marilyn Manson to me. Is there? I haven't heard that. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's screaming on he's tracks. Screaming. Yeah, for sure. So, and it's like dirty, ugly sounds. It is. That yeah. is. You know, I mean, I, I think videos it's kind of badass. Videos are sick. Well, here's the thing: if you if you're a metal band, right, you get the number one ch- song on the Spotify chart. I mean, you don't get like a prize in the mail. Like who get like ultimately, it's like did someone like we got number one, and then you have I'm like a parade. Just, I, I'm just, <laughs> what's confusing to me is why the fuck is this in the metal chart? I think it's this good for metal. metal. I think you know what? Here's the here's why it's it's good. All right, if someone. Some kid is a Ghost Bane fan, and that is called metal. Mm-hmm. And somehow that feeds him to another another algorithm that leads him to listen to that band Horror, which leads him to Corn or something. I think it's I think it's ultimately good. I think any of this stuff I that his, I think his success is good. I think all of it's good. I think him using metal imagery and you know he's got like a black metal logo now and like I think it's all good. I just don't. That's not metal to me. Sure. I mean, that's fine. I, no guitar. I, there is guitar. I, I guess, and I guess though. what constitutes metal is kind of where the, I guess the overall picture is. I just feel like Spotify is fucking that all up too. 
Well, I mean, they got their shitty algorithm with my goddamn song that no one gives a fuck about, and then they got that clogging up the metal. Ch- now they got rap tracks clogging up the metal chart. Well, are you gonna? Um, are you gonna stick metal tracks in the hip hop chart now? Why not? I'm down. Yeah, I hope so. Let's do it. Add wolves. Put it in the new fucking rap chart. Are you? Are you? So are you on team hashtag delete Spotify? <laughs> <laughs> You're like me, and Neil Young, Joni Mitchell. We going on tour together. What, the delete Spotify think? tour. All right. What do you think about that? <laughs> the anti Spotify. No, I still got Spotify. Oh no. What do you, you think know, about all that? It's funny. I'm because I'm I'm gonna record. Wait, my... wait into the into the controversy. Oh, I, so I'm gonna talk. We're actually gonna do a monologue on this on my podcast in a couple hours, but. I think this is one of the dumber culture war things. And to me, this is all culture war. This is all about whose side are you on? And most of the sides are reflexive. They're not actually thought out intellectual uh, processes. In my, in my, my point, I think people go, Rogan's my guy. So I'm on team Rogan or people go, I'm, on team uh you know covid safety so that's my guy or whatever that's usually what what i see and 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 everything is a reflection of that my point is my 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 view is this uh it's neil young's thing is pretty dumb because it was never gonna work right so rogan has the power because the immense audience his show is just that big it's too it is it is literally david versus goliath like they're not they spent the 100 million or 300 million on rogan because he's bringing that many people to the platform and he's worth that much so neil young ain't kanye he's not taylor swift he's not you know uh drake he does not have that much market share where his protest was ever going to work so it was pretty so I, I don't think if he, I don't know if he thought it was going to work or if he was just protesting because he wanted to protest. Right. And the thing is, I, I think the problem is, is people go, I'm against censorship. And I'm like, but let's say Spotify dropped Joe Rogan. He would, he would just, like he was on the, his podcast was out there before Spotify. Like, it's like his show would cease to exist. You just wouldn't watch it on Spotify. Like who gives a fuck? Right. Like it literally there is no downside. And then you get the funny thing is, it's like you get people. This, there's this new trend to me where people actually fight for the people with all the power and all the money. Right. So it's like Spotify is people like we need to fight for Rogan because we're because he's against corporate media. I'm like Spotify is a corporation publicly traded. <laughs> they are corporate media. And if he's the biggest spot. He's the biggest podcaster. He is media and he's the biggest one. So how is he not corporate media? Right. Right. Like it. So, and it's, and it's, so it's like this kind of built in hypocrisies where it's like, and half of these artists will give, will tell you how much they hate Spotify, but now they're on team because of their team. I'm on team this. It's like, you know what it is? It's like, do I think Joe Rogan should be kicked off Spotify? No. Do I think Neil Young has the right to do a dumbass protest that ain't gonna work? Yes, it's his right, right? Like that's what protest is about. Like, and I, and people, no, it's about freedom. I'm like, okay, so you're saying your band because you love 
freedom. You love Joe Rogan's my man, right? Freedom. Would you play a festival with a neo-Nazi band? And if you go, no, I'm like, oh, but what happened to freedom? I thought you were for freedom. Oh, no, 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 no. You're only for freedom when it, with, with, with the person you like. And the thing is, the difference between the modern um, approach and philosophy is that the kind of cultural left is really kind of engaged with this idea of deplatforming and going, hey, who should we give a platform? Who should we allow an audience? And, the, and at the point of it, it goes, hey, is Joe Rogan spreading disinformation? And I think you could probably say in many cases, the answer is yes. That like, and it's, and the problem is people don't look at the context, right? They don't go, it's not, dude, I was, Joe Rogan, I would not have a podcast if it wasn't for Joe Rogan. I'm a fan of Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan has disappointed me in terms of how he's evolved through the years. Where it's like, and Finn McKenty brought this up. He's like, it's like, like some, some, sometimes someone else makes a good point. You go, all he fucking talks about is COVID now. All he talks about is vaccines. All he talks about is math. It's like, dude, once you, yeah. it's just like, dude, just, it's, it's the same thing with like Bill Marshall. After a while, I just couldn't watch where I was like, I get it. You're rich and you want to do what the fuck you want to do. And yes, do I want to wear a mask anymore? No. Do I want to fucking have these things shut down? No, but I'm just like sick of just hearing about it. Like, dude, if you don't want to be taken as an authority on this shit, then stop talking about it. Stop having doctors on every fucking week. Stop, right. you know, like right. you're making yourself an authority by making, by saying, I'm a health expert. I'm in shape. I do this. I take these vitamins. I'm, you know, so it's like, yeah, people follow you. So I think it's this thing of how do we figure out how to deal with that is something I don't have all the answers to. And I don't, do I think the way Neil Young handled it is the best way? No. Um, but he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to go, I don't want my music on there with this person, you know? And then some people are like, well, so it's okay for him to do that. What about R. Kelly? His music is on there. Chris Brown's music is on there. Bill Cosby has, so I'm like, so you're okay? With, I'm like, so you're okay with your band? <laughs> so you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, we can play this game forever, but it's mostly about tribalism. It's that people go, I'm on this, I'm on team Neil Young, and I'm on team Joe Rogan. And I don't think people put a lot of thought behind it, you know? So it's like, I think everyone has a good point. And I actually thought Joe Rogan, even though he said some, a couple of dumb things in there, I thought his response video was actually really good. Mm. You know, and I, I, I thought it was, it seemed thoughtful. It seemed like he did want to do a little better with that. And I thought it was a good response. And I like the fact that he was like, I'm not mad at Joni Mitchell. I'm not mad at uh, Neil Young. Cause dude, the same thing when, Alex Jones was talking shit about Joe Rogan. He's like, ah, I'm not mad. Like, he's actually very cool with that. With like, he can kind of take criticism and not take it personally. And I think that's pretty cool. So, but I, I just think this line in the sand, you know, like I kind of want to like, <laughs> I want to talk to David Dream a little bit. Because David Dream was like, we need to stop the, <laughs> the division amongst us all. He's like, but I'm team Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> He's like, Joe Rogan is right. But we need to stop it. I was like, wait, hold up. <laughs> Just hold on. <laughs> I got to I gotta bust his balls when I see him. <laughs> you know. Um, totally. That was hilarious. But I think. That's exactly you know, what I thought when I read it. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but, I'm, but I don't. I'm, and I'm going to kind of. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give a probably more calm version of that on my uh, 
on, on my podcast, give my thoughts. But I, but I think these things are set up to dumb thing happens. Then you or me or David Draymond says something about it. Then that becomes the story. Then in the comments, it's just a bunch of people like, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't take your, uh, songs off of Spotify for, because of Joe Rogan disinformation. No, here, yo, I hear what you understand about me. I'm not an activist. I really have become really fucking apathetic. I kind of feel like nothing matters and <laughs> and all this shit. Motherfucker, yeah, I'm gonna stop racism. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> like I saw a football player, he had and racism on his fucking helmet. Right. I'm, like, right. I'm like, you know what? I think that guy solved racism with his helmet. <laughs> Great. No, I'm really yo, I'm super I don't I really don't think anything matters. And there's something and I think there's a we've I'm actually writing an article right this about Outburn about like now every band, right? Like you're more weird if you're not if you're a band who's not political. You know, like everyone's got something to say, all right, I got my, you know, um, I'm for freedom. I'm for freedom. Like, you know, I have some friends, you know, so <laughs> so hosts so, don't take his personally, but it's like if I hear another rock metal song about how much cancel culture sucks i'm just gonna like throw up on myself it's like but the problem isn't that they're making it is that they think they're the only ones they're like you know what no one has the balls to say this i'm like literally everyone's saying it (laughs) (laughs) and like in yo pc is the the kid rock song was so beyond stupid but fucking i laugh my ass off at that video <laughs> oh but that's the point of it like i laugh my ass off at that video every, i was like this song is i'll never listen to this again it's so dumb but like fuck that was a funny video but dude it something like that works because the people who are kind of who it's placating to are gonna absorb it almost as like it feels like a transgressive move to like, I'm, right. yeah, this I'm this is my rebel music, right? Yep. And then it trolls all the people who hate it, who will then write articles about it and dunk on it on Twitter. I and know. all you're doing is promoting it. Totally. I was just like, all right, if you hate the song so much, stop resharing it on Twitter. I was like, I, guess who's not going to reshare this? Me. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, but it's it's troll. It's troll music. It is. And, and it's it's effective because. Kid Rock is still really fucking famous and still, you know, that dude goes on tour. He's fucking selling out. How, 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 I'm betting a hundred bucks that motherfucker's vaccinated. Uh, I got a hundred bucks on him being vaccinated. I have no, I have no totally rich. He's a totally rich white boy. That motherfucker's and he's been rich his whole life. But I think, but that's the kind of point. If you're rich, you kind of don't need to be vaccinated because if you get sick, you're just going to get the fucking the monoclonal antibodies and you're going to get he's the iv he's vaccinated i don't know i don't and i you know and i don't care because it's like (laughs) all those dickheads on fox news who are vaccinated and then screaming about fucking vaccinations i'm like shut the fuck up like you can't walk into your goddamn building without being vaccinated but that's but that's the whole thing about this is that i just can't wait for this period of time to be in because it just all we did was trade one thing for another it was like so you're like pro lockdown or anti-lockdown you're pro mask or anti-mask you're pro vaccine or anti-vaccine and the the, the vaccine thing it's like i'm actually perfectly fine with the vaccine passports like i know a lot of people don't like it i'm perfectly fine with it mm-hmm. but the reason why i don't like it is because it creates 
the two sets of people and it's like and it's very black and white either you're with us or you're against us on either version of it right and it's like it's just very difficult to go we can but that's like everything you know like driver's license or seat belts you know you might not remember seat belts but like dude when seat belts came, became like a you have to wear seat belts oh my god people lost their fucking i know but we didn't older than you but we didn't have like, twitter we didn't have twitter yeah, back I then know, right we didn't have we didn't have podcasts we didn't have yeah like, they just had like the local news and it would just go into some local news void and then it disappear forever okay but guess what if you didn't if you don't have your seatbelt right and you get a ticket that's not really controversial. You just get a ticket, whatever you deal with it. No, Let's but I'm say, just saying that people were flipping out. Yeah. Like they were saying the same shit about like, oh, it's fucking this is Nazi Germany and fucking ba da 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 da. Like, I mean, just melting the fuck down. And it what it did become seat belters against non-seat belters. Yeah. You know, and for a couple of years there it was a giant fucking thing. And now I bet you most people don't even think like I feel weird without a seatbelt. And I gotta but, say, back then I felt weird having to put a seatbelt on all the time because yeah. I, you know, when I was a kid, like, I don't even think I ever used my, like, my kid parents would just throw me in the back of the car and my dad would drive all over and fucking his van would catch on fire and fucking, you know, like, shit, crazy shit. Nobody would ever be seatbelted, you know. In fact, well, it felt safer to be unseatbelted because my dad's van, my dad had one of those old vans, like, 70s vans, like, the fucking, like, the Scooby-Doo van that, like, had the, that had the engine in the middle between the two seats and, like, it, it would pop up and that engine would catch on fire so like it was safer to not be seat belted because you could just jump out of your seat when it got on fire <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> well it's just i and, and i think that division now so to kind of make it a blanket thing is like safety freedom right yeah. and so the problem is is like when you like if, if i think not even say the problem is i say my disagreement is especially within our community, because I think the rock and metal world culturally is kind of about being against authority, right? Like that's kind of its roots. And that's something that's kind of consistent with, and whether you want to say hardcore is part of that and punk rock is, is, is against that. It's kind of being nonconformist. So it completely tracks to me when you have the kind of person that would sing in a metal band, or a rock band is probably going to be someone who's like, I don't want someone to control me. I'm going to do, it. we're not going to take it. Right. <laughs> you know, like, so that, that, that completely makes sense to me, but I just think this one thing is just unique. Like it's very difficult to compare a pandemic to other things that are not necessarily public health crises, crises, you know? Um, and so, and because of that, it's, it's going to be a temporary thing, right? There's, it's going to be like, here was what was horrible. Here's what was the peak. And here's when we're on our way out of it. And it'll be like a five-year thing of where it's something that's big in our lives and it'll eventually fade to the background until the next fucking pandemic, which hopefully we're no longer here for. Right. <laughs> um, so because of that, you have to kind of rearrange, I think, the way you think about these things because it's like, it's just about this one thing. And I get it. Some principles for some people that, well, a principle is something you apply across the board, which I totally get. But we also have to be uh, improvisational based on the circumstances, right? And so it's like, to me, there it's a spectrum between a free society and a safe society. And we have to figure out what that perfect 
balance is you know, at any one point. It can't just be, you can't be like, I'm for freedom. But I'm like, but you're also for safety because you have like 700 guns. So you kind of care about safety too, motherfucker. Don't, don't act like you don't care about safety. <laughs> you, was, that, was that the uh, when you did that you you had Phil Labonte on like a gun debate with Phil Labonte right from all the remains. yeah a long a, a while ago yeah was that the uh, end result was like you would care about safety <laughs> no 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 that was you know no I, I think I my, love that you I love that you engage uh, you know some certain people in in yeah. that respect you guys had like a you know you had a couple of people debate like elections and stuff like that too i've so. kind of gone away from it though man because it's yep. i feel like we're not i think in order to have those conversations go ahead sir yeah, go ahead i think to have those conversations we have to be like i if you have a different perspective i actually want to learn from your perspective and have to be like open to hearing your perspective and ho hopefully once we leave that conversation, it's not necessarily about me changing my mind, but I have a fully formed idea of, a, you know, and go. And so I have more consideration when I'm thinking about the entire scope of a, of a particular issue. Um, and it's not that I will, I'll have Phil to talk, uh, talk about stuff anytime. I love Phil. Um, but it's just, I personally have gotten like exhausted from these conversations because to me, culture war is not substantive. It's, it's about, culture wars are mechanisms to kind of sway public opinion, right? And because, you know, back in the day, when I was coming up, wedge, wedge issues, it was like a few things. It was abortion, it was guns, it was this thing of like, I'm gonna find something that's so emotionally kind of um, provocative that I can actually get someone to vote on just this one issue. Right now, everything is a wedge issue, right? Everything is a, you're either on this or that, and you can't, you know, there's, and, and so it's, and we use these, these pop culture things as little proxy wars, but where do you stand on the Joe Rogan thing? Where do you stand on the Chappelle thing? Where do you stand? It's like, this is where we're at. Like, it just, it just seems counterproductive and it further embeds people in the position they were already in. Um, and then in situations like this, where it's like, I don't want to lose Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle to the right, you know, because the left just goes, well, you don't, I don't, you don't agree with me on these two things. So we hate you now, or you're all right. Or you're, you know, it's like, it's so dumb, you know, where we can't go. No, some people, it's like, some people are conservative on these things and liberal on these things and everything in between. And we're not just the summation of our team, you know, and, and I get it. I'm, you know, being a centrist in this current environment, like both sides hate you the most. <laughs> you damn fence sitter. Damn. <laughs> you know, so it's like, usually <laughs> it's true. Cause like I said, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm center left, but I, I look at things, you know, people on the left do all the time. I argue with them all the time too. Like it's not, everyone's wrapped up in hyperbole everyone's in slippery slopes everyone's like you know fighting for some existential battle that they think will end the fucking world and it's like when, you're, when the stakes are that high and people that invested you can't it's hard to talk it's interesting that you say that because in some ways that's been probably a huge part of most of your life you're a centrist, you know, you're, you're 
a mixed race uh, family, you know, so you're not white, but you're not black. And I'm a Libra. Or you're too white or you're too black. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, and I think, yeah, and that's applied to my band, right? Being a hybrid band, being metal and hardcore and trying to, my whole life is trying to exist in, in different worlds to, you know, being born, born in an urban environment and touring and seeing different environments. And, you know, but that's, I've just always th thought that it's really important to, to live empathically, right? Like I'll see people make uh, kind of generic or stereotypes about Midwestern people or Southern people, you know, in a way that if I tour and I I'm like, those are my fucking fans, bro. And they're actually nice people. Like it's not what they're just, just as from down South, they're rednecks or they're dumb or like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's one thing to do, but if you're not around people and you only think version you have of that is a stereotype that someone who doesn't like them created. And that goes for anything, right? The metropolitan elitist liberal latte sipping, right? Like if you, yeah, if you don't around that environment, then you're going to have this idea of people. It's like, no, people are fucking people. It's like, you know, I say the people in the red states are way more liberal than you think they are. And the people in the cities are way more conservative than you actually think they are. If you actually talk to them. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's just this fucking team thing, man. It's just it. it Because, you know, when you when you have a team, you don't have to think because you already get your opinion handed to you from your favorite, you know, influencer or podcaster. I don't even say the media anymore because I. It's like, no, no, my, 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 here's the new thing, actually, that motherfuckers piss me off. They're like, you know what? <laughs> they're like, the media, they're dividing you. And I was like, and that's this, this new, this populism shit where it says, where what you do is you go, nothing is ever your fault. It's always someone do, the media did this to you. I'm like, you know, people can choose what to listen to and what to read. Like, there's no like law saying you gotta watch Fox News or you gotta, watch Rachel Maddow or you gotta listen to Joe Rogan or you gotta listen to Howard Stern like you can consume whatever you want that's on you it's like saying you don't like you have you don't have any control over what you eat like you don't have to go to McDonald's right. you, can get, you can get some celery motherfucker like like there should be personal responsibility the media is dividing you I'm like no you're dividing you because you hate other motherfuckers you know every yo everyone hates everything motherfuckers hate the government, they hate Hollywood, they hate schools, they hate the military, they hate cops, they hate, what, what else? The, the, people hate everything. They're not happy with anything. There's big tech, social media, Elon Musk, they, they, they're mad at everyone about everything all the time. When the truth is, most shit ain't that bad. We're just a bunch of fucking complainers who gotta blame everything that's wrong in your life is because capitalism or it's because socialism or it's because identity politics or or whatever like yo you know what relax i wish everyone just fucking relax for a minute motherfuckers you know? need to jerk off more and watch you porn i mean motherfuckers but, need to get more laid more i mean maybe <laughs> that's what they do dudes need to get laid more yeah well i mean do well, I mean, they say people are having less sex. You need some good dick, good dick, yeah. or some good uh, lady love, or good, you some, know? yeah, some good lady love, or both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, you're 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 probably right, um, but 
But yeah, I, I, those I, motherfuckers go so crazy in fucking the Middle East. They can't jack off. I'm like, I'd be going crazy too. <laughs> I mean, are they not? Are they just lying? They're just telling no one they're not. I think they are lying. Yeah, I feel like that'd be, I've that'd be a, a lot of people who are over there, and they're just like, yeah, we we do. They got, yeah, their, yeah. they got their little thing. They can go on the internet all incognito and shit. It's like I'm. I'll be back. I'm going to the bathroom. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. Take me back to. Uh, take me back to growing up. I I'd like to, you know, I don't know how much you want to explore this, but like you know the the you, you mixed race and you know kind of growing up in as a kid and what that's like. Are any, is anybody in your family musical? Like, are your parents musical? Yeah, you didn't know this. No. Yeah, my, my dad is a piano player, jazz musician, classical oh, right. musician. I, I, yes, I knew that he was. Yeah, my, my mother was a singer, DJ. I mean, yeah, my house was. DJ. What's that? DJ. DJ. Well, yeah. Well, like on the radio? No, like, like you know, mix, you know, doing oh, parties shit. and okay. stuff. Right. Making mixtapes and shit. Um, but that was later. She started out as a singer and then became a DJ. Like my mother, you know, was 69 years old DJing. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking badass. Um. But I lost I lost both my parents in the in the past uh, couple years. No, but uh, really they both man. yeah they both died. Sorry to hear that. Super young. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very musically artistic kind of just you know. I mean, I, I remember most of my first memories are like being at my parents' rehearsal because they played in the same band, same oh, jazz okay. band. No um, just being at rehearsals and shows and kind of just, and just my dad, you know, he got up every day and practiced piano and playing music, playing Miles Davis and playing Duke Ellington and, and, you know, just, and and my father, was he like he put out records and stuff? No, I mean, he didn't really do a lot of original music every now and again, he would like play stuff, but he, I think viewed himself. So my dad had a teaching degree. And so um, before he started teaching piano full time, he was like a substitute teacher and, and doing stuff like that. So I think he just saw himself more as an educator and kind of like he, he like, my, like my dad just he would just read books constantly and constantly was learning other music. I think he just saw himself as like a accumulator of knowledge to some degree and just kind of like this is a professional absorber and then he take that and then teach other people so he was even as he was teaching his students and stuff he was constantly teaching us teaching me about history teaching me about the world and and culture and art you know like so my favorite movies you know like i would see with my dad just him you know and i kind of grew up in an environment that was just wasn't very i never felt like adults were trying to like shelter me from anything you know, like I, I very early age watching rated R movies and just okay. weird. Super, yeah, it was never like a thing. Like I go to my grandparents' house and we're watching like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Death Wish 3 and shit. And like no one, it, I don't know, like I, and I, don't, I don't think I'm a weirdo because of it or, or anything. But, you know, and I was always around older people, you know, um, even like me and my brother, when we were getting into comic books and we'd always have like friends that were like eight years, 10 years old. I don't, I don't know why it just, it just seemed like we always were getting, and when you're around that, you're just constantly being, uh, you, you're just getting an extra leg up. You know, I just remember being around people in the, you know, seeing anime, you know, like Akira when it was, it right. literally didn't even have subtitles. You're just watching it in Japanese. You don't even understand the story. Yeah, <laughs> you're just like, sick. when it was still in like import or like, 
So things like that, just, you know, so it's like, and, and it's same thing with like beginning into metal is I had this friend Attila who gave me, he was like, he was like 21 or 19 and we were, me and my brother were like 13, but we hung out with him and played video games and he gave us his, all his old tapes because it was CDs were coming. So he was rebuying his collection on CD. He's like, I don't need these tapes anymore. And it was like, that was the first time I heard violence. That was the first time I heard creator. Wow. Sepultura, you know, King Diamond, like just, just like, that's like a, you know, Testament. It was like a musical education and someone's just giving it to you. But if, you know, cause I didn't have like an older brother, me and my brother were basically the same age, you know, yeah. in terms of like someone to hand down music. And it was like that for everything, you know, just being around older people who would just show you things and, and being where, you know, my dad was, you know, we ended up, we were living with my dad. He was basically a single parent. Your parents split up? Okay. Yeah. I just yeah. I mean, they, they split up when I was like five and then we lived with our mother till I was like 10. And, but it was, it just wasn't a great environment. You know, she didn't really, you know, she was a bit absentee and it was, you know, it was pretty rough, you know, like lights wouldn't be on food, wouldn't be in the, oh, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the fridge and, you know, she'd she beat us sometimes. Was, uh-huh. she, was she out partying or what was she? Doing? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think I knew that then. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I just, you know, I just don't think she was very responsible enough to really do the full job. So eventually my dad got custody and, you know, and he was just working all the time, you know, cause he would, he would teach piano and then do weddings and stuff on the weekends. And so it was kind of like a very like raised by the village kind of thing. Cause we'd have like neighbors who would take care of us and kind of, and it was cool because New Brunswick, it's like an urban environment, but it's, you had Rutgers university there. So you had a lot of culture there. You had art museums and you had plays and you had just a lot of uh, down filter culture and like investment into like the local schools. And me and my brother were like in advanced classes. So I really felt we got, a leg up education wise, um, despite it being kind of like an urban environment, we just had a lot of good people around us, you know, that took care of us and showed us things and had great relationships with both of my grandparents and stuff. And so it was, you know, it's, it's this weird thing where I don't have like some dark, uh, childhood perspective, you know, even though there's certain things I can go, Oh, that wasn't in hindsight. Oh, that wasn't normal, or that wasn't considered like a a kind of middle class nuclear family upbringing, you know. Whereas, like sometimes I'll hear like people, they'll sound distraught behind their parents being like divorced, and I'm like, it's weird to me that someone thinks they're entitled to have their parents be together, because <laughs> I'm I guess I'm used to a non conventional home environment, you know, and we and. Me, I swear to God, from a young age, we were just kind of on our own. Like, I guess that traditional, like, latchkey uh, generation of just, like, you come home and kind of do your thing. And your parents aren't really around. You, you know, make chicken nuggets in the fucking <laughs> oven. And totally. you, you kind of just, you're kind of, like, very self-sufficient, you know, to some to, to some degree. Um, but, yeah, but I, but I feel like we had great influences around us, be it neighbors or friend, family friends or my grandparents were great influences as well is your dad a, a weed smoker like he's in a jazz band like a lot of those jazz cats smoke weed all, he didn't all day he, <laughs> he didn't start smoking weed 
as far as I do. I mean, I know it's funny, like as you like your parents get older, they start telling you like all the wild shit my dad was talking about doing yeah. blow and fucking party. And I was like, God damn, like, dude, my <laughs> so my dad and my uncles, they used to work at a pharmacy oh, back shit. in like the 60s. Okay. And these motherfuckers stole <laughs> medical grade cocaine oh my god like pure and they were (laughs) and yo and obviously they didn't tell me this to me so i was like damn near 38 years old right yes of course and to hear my uncle like he literally he was reminiscing about this cocaine like he was talking about his first girlfriend (laughs) like like his first love he's like he's like doc this cocaine you can't but it's funny like you only hear about that later but my dad was a pretty big drinker but he didn't really start smoking weed as far as I knew until like, you know, me and my brother kind of like moved out. Oh, okay. You know, when he he kind of he chilled he out from you. He kept it away from you guys. And I just don't think he really smoked weed when he, he just drank. But my dad was like an alcoholic when we were younger. I think the stress okay. of being a single dad and trying to like just uh, get through that took it took took its toll. Um, but yeah, he he definitely he literally when he passed away, there was weed there like like unsmoked weed i'm like man it's a waste of weed dad oh, his house. yeah like <laughs> my brother took it. your brother dallas took it i was like god damn i was gonna take that weed got it <laughs> <laughs> so you got a pretty free i mean that's a pretty free upbringing i mean like you're kind of just able to do anything i mean assuming that's why you got like into metal you start going to metal shows pretty young right no, I didn't go to shows. I, you know, that was the weird thing was like, I probably started playing guitar and discovering metal around 12, 13 rock and metal, <clears throat> but it wasn't for a few years, you know, until we started playing, like literally me and my brother just played in our house. That's all we did. And we didn't play with anyone. It was just me and him playing guitar, playing Metallica, playing Pantera, playing Slayer. And then until we met up with, Corey and Byron because our our best friend John we used to draw comics with he's like oh my cousins they uh you know they they jam over here and we just my dad like dropped us off and we're our little combo amps and they're like and then that, that was it and probably that same year actually in yeah, 96 we went to go see Pantera White Zombie and Deftones and that was the first okay. show wow and and then within like <clears throat> a few months of that we went to our first hardcore show and it was Candiria and this band for the love of train of thought clubber lang all these all these local bands and that was like, like i remember going to the pantera show and being like you know like i said we were from the city a majority black latino environment almost no white people like going to the pantera show felt like you were going to like a clan rally like it was legitimately <laughs> scary no we thought like we wouldn't be like allowed okay there. like that's how we felt we went there we had our pantera shirt so we bought it from down by the shore and I remember we had like really terrible seats. It was loud, but it was still like fucking badass. And then when we went to the hardcore show, it like changed our lives. It was like, it was like, it was just like a whole new environment because you'd see a band play and they'd be sick. And then they, five minutes later, you're like talking to the guy about like, oh man, you guys are cool. And you're buying their demo. You know what I'm saying? Like it right, felt right. so different, well, you know? Man. Yeah. And it was, it was the first environment really my entire life that I felt comfortable in where I was like, Oh, these like, you know, and that was like the first, like when I was in my entire time in school. And, and at that time we had, 
me and brother went from in the inner city in New Brunswick, we went to a private school called Gil St. Bernard's. Um, and that was like very upper class kids, you know, you know, and, and kind of this environment of mostly black and, and, and Latino environment where I didn't really feel comfortable, didn't really feel like I fit in because I'm listening to Megadeth and they're listening to Biggie Smalls. And then I go <laughs> to this wealthy environment around mostly white kids who were also listening to Biggie Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, why and is that, everybody listening to Biggie Smalls? <laughs> oh no, because he was he why was great. Why are they listening to White Zombie? He was great. I should, you know, I I, I listened to hip hop back then though. I was like probably like, you know, really, and, and you know, listen to Dre and Bone Thugs and Harmony and right. all that stuff. Um, so, so much good stuff. Yeah, I I, I I loved everything, but I connected more. You know, I was playing Biggie guitar. Who send days of under rules? <laughs> One of the best lines ever. Dude, how, dude, so much Cypress Hill. I mean, so, so much Onyx, so much good stuff. Yeah. Um, Naughty by Nature. Onyx was killing it on the East Coast too back then. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, but anyway, so so it was like the thing about never really fitting in and then f- discovering the hardcore scene. It's still like most of my best friends and everything came out of that environment. And obviously, God forbid which we didn't become God forbid for a couple more years, but getting involved in that scene, like was the catalyst for really me having a career at all, you know, was that whole scene. Cause it's just, dude, there's so much creativity, man, in that, in that world. And every, you do go to these shows and every band would be different. It'd be like, here's a emo band and here's a deathcore band and here's a straight edge hardcore band. And here's a metalcore band. And, you know, and it was, and I just thought that was great. Candiria was so like, I loved Candiria. We played a bunch of shows with them back in the day. And I mean, that must've been pretty cool seeing, you know, a black person in a hardcore band for you. Right. Yeah. But you know what? It wasn't weird to me at the time because, uh, my environment, I feel like the, uh, New York, New Jersey was very, uh, mixed, you yeah. know? So even like, you know, going to hardcore shows, you would just see it was a, a more diverse environment, especially going to New York, man. Going like the first time Godfrey went to play like Brooklyn and stuff. And it's like, it was very diverse. So it was, and because we were who we were, we just felt like, I don't know. I never felt um, limited by who I was. I was just like, oh, I like this. I'm going to check that out. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here or, or whatever. But, and it, to me, that was a, Candoria was a reflection of that diversity that already kind of existed, you know, and especially when you listen to their music, it was so culturally irreverent, right? Like, you know, jazz is black music, yeah. right? Hip hop is black music. So it's like, and then you also had E-Town Concrete, um, which even though there wasn't any, any uh, black or Hispanic people in that band, it felt culturally connected to what was going on, which is that uh, hip hop culture right. was completely infused in to like what was going on in like the urban environment. And that's what I kind of perceived the areas in New Jersey I lived in to be as like yeah. the streets, you know? So you were seeing other street people. And that's what's funny thing about, I would say that about Jersey at that time is like, you hang out with God forbid how much we would say the N word. And it's like, cause that's literally how everyone spoke, whether you were black or not. Like that's how everyone spoke, and it never dawned. It wasn't until like years later where people were like, "You can't say that because you're white." I'm like, "Dude, that never dawned on anyone." Like this is how everyone talks. Like, right. 
I mean, like Steve Lagudi talks about that all the time. Like that, like, he was just like, "Dude, that's just we just started. Say, you just started saying it after a while because, like, that's all anybody said." Yeah, but it is how we grew up, and I, and I get it's only when you're out of that environment. Dave Shivari's like, Shivari like that too. Like you know, like oh yeah, you know, like, yeah. But that's dude. That's what I'm saying. So it's when you're around those dudes, especially like the, you know, when you're around the Fury of Five dudes, and you know, all the you know the, the E Town dudes. It's like, yo, that's just. That's just that, that's just how it was. So it's it's funny, especially now, in a more kind of politically correct environment, uh, where there's a lot more kind of policing of 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 language. But you know, it is how you grew up is how you grew up. You know, it is. It is. And I'm 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 not against it. And when I'm around my people, trust me, I still talk like that. You know, what I'm saying, look, I'll drop a couple on here. And <laughs> <laughs> I think E Town's one of those bands too that, like, you know, they were pretty. I think they were important to a lot of bands coming out from that era you know like they were yeah like, dude they were huge they, dude they're they still big yeah are they still big yeah that's cool i mean it, they're big in the tri-state area and like they'll go to europe and people still so love it they're, it's kind okay. of a really unique career because they kind of realized they as a like a national touring act it wasn't really successful on that end but <laughs> regionally they crush it and people go nuts saying it's it's kind of insane yeah. But I still think they're they're one of those bands like the music is pretty undeniable and they should have gotten big nationally, internationally, just for whatever reason. There was bad timing or wrong label. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, right. Yeah. Who knows? But th definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, even in your formative years, you're sitting there, you know, checking them all these years later. Like, I think that that, you know, they deserve I think more bands were probably influenced by them than maybe would even admit you know what i mean like i think some of those earlier hardcore bands probably saw e-town and were like fuck this is sick you well, know, the well, that was, the well it was ironic about it and i think the reason why they liked us was like you got all these white dudes playing hip-hop and hardcore and then it's this black dudes playing like we that was the ironic was the black dudes in the scene were playing the purest version of metal right <laughs> right in you know what i'm saying white dudes so, in the scene are playing you know the closest to hip hop of any yeah yeah and it was so it was this thing of like oh that's kind of cool because it's not about who you are it's just about what you're into you know and so like we didn't sound anything like e-town but we would play shows all the time and it worked because it's like yo this is what it's about it's like you're doing your thing you're doing your thing but it all works yeah i mean it's it's pretty amazing to me like what are the chances of like two black dudes meeting two other black dudes to start a metal band. I mean, it just, it's very unusual. Like it's not, but it's all environmental. Like now that you guys became it, but like, I think at the time, if you would have thought that that could, was something possible. And but, I, you, but, but I think it's about your environment. Tall ass white bass player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's, it's about your environment, right? It's like who, it's proximity, right? You know, if you start a band in high school, you're going to start the band with people in your school. Yeah. Right. And we didn't go to school together, but it was just our friend that to know these people. I mean, it's just kind of, it's, it's completely accidental, yeah. you know, it definitely was not intended, but I think even before we were good, <laughs> I think it was like a thing of be, like I said, being that environment. Cause we were friends with all these people who were not metal musicians, right? Like, like, New Brunswick was really known at the time as being, you know, having like this artistic environment. So we, you know, you know, funk bands and jam bands and jazz bands. Like it was so, 
and we even before like I said, even before we were a good band, just the idea that it was like black dudes playing metal, people were like, oh, that's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. Like, like <laughs> we knew there was something kind of cool about that idea. And a lot of people go, man, well, didn't it kind of bum you out that when you guys came out, people just that's all they would talk about. I'm like, it's better than talk about nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's better to have something notable about you than no hook at all or no, nothing that makes you stand out. So I didn't I don't really take take it that way. I'm, I mean. It, I think for a lot of time, long time, we we struggle with like image or marketing. And I remember I was talking like Rob from Kamira and he's like, he's like, he's like, I know your image. Like you guys are the living color of metal. He's like, that's just what it is. And I'm like, hey, whatever. <laughs> cool me. How how old are you when you start jamming, like doing shows and stuff with God forbid? Well, like I said, we didn't become God forbid until 98. We had a couple of different names. We had a different singer. Like we were called Manifest Destiny and Byron was playing bass. Um, okay. And this dude, Robbie was playing, was singing. And then we did like a couple shitty demos. And then we shows. were getting ready What's that? Did you do shows? I think we played one show. We played at the Court Tavern. And the only review I got from my dad was, you were out of tune. And <laughs> you no, know, the show was so, you know, it's funny. We were so bad at the show. And it was like, so we played for like eight people, whatever. Right. We were so bad at the show. We didn't like talk to each other for like six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> We just like this. You fucked and, that one up, man. No, you fucked that up. No, we weren't mad at, at anyone individually. Mad at for sucking. We weren't even mad. We were just like, it was just kind of like a pursuit. Like you're doing a thing as a hobby and you're like, you got a, too, a little too above your, your kind of pay grade That's by hilarious. thinking you could do a show and you were just uninspired. But then we just kind of kept reaching out to Corey. Hey, man, you want to jam? So we just kept jamming. And then every time we would like, we get to a point we'd like record a demo and would just get slightly better. Yeah. And then we were getting ready to do another demo. And at the time, uh, Byron had left the band to go to recording school in Ohio. And we had this female bass player who Dallas was dating. And we, and then the singer, Robbie, didn't want to go to the, didn't want to go. Cause we were going to get to, uh, actually, I, I forgot to set this up. Byron invited us to go do a free demo at his recording school in Ohio. Okay. Sorry, sorry, I didn't set that up. Uh, the singer didn't want to go and we ended up getting an argument and he beat up the whole band. Oh my God. <laughs> Except me. Cause I wasn't in the room. Uh, <laughs> I was where I came in. I'm like, damn, I'm not good. Looks, I was like, man, it looks rough in here. <laughs> um, you know, oh, hilarious. But anyway, so you're like, fuck this motherfucker. We're going to so, get fired. Yes. No, we just said, fuck it. Oh, we're no. going anyway with no singer. And then, uh, and while we're there, Byron ended up singing on one or two songs. And then Corey actually sang on a couple songs. He was rapping like Tupac. It was hilarious. Okay. And then, uh, oh, but, it, but it was funny. We actually oh, listened boy. to it. What's that? I said, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I got to fucking find, find that shit. But uh, we actually, but the band was getting better. It was actually, we listened to it like, man, it's actually pretty cool. And then we heard Byron we're like, man, he actually sounds kind of sick. And right around that time, Dallas and his girlfriend were kind of beefing. There was just a lot of drama. And she ended up leaving the band. And Beaker had, he had jammed with us one time, but it didn't really like, just didn't really gel. And when she left or the prospect of her leaving, we, we called him back up because Beaker went to high school with, uh, with 
Corey and Byron. Okay. He came back and jammed and it was just like, he had been practicing and he was just a lot more locked in. And, and then basically <laughs> we, uh, Byron got pulled over and got a ticket for like speeding. And he was so mad. And we, within one rehearsal, we wrote this song that became the first God forbid song. It was called mind eraser. And it was just so like, it was just faster and angrier and like, and, and around that time that, that Dallas had this name, God forbid, he's like, yo, if I ever had a death metal band, I'd call it this. And the band was just getting heavier and faster. And we're like, all right, God forbid, that's the name. And apparently D- D- Dallas said he, he was, he was telling people our, our band name was God forbid, even before <laughs> we had decided. So it's kind of like when, when John joined the band and then this kind of like, I don't know, just this thing of like, no, we're fucking doing this style. Like we kind of had come into our own. And then we were finally kind of technically skilled enough to be impressive that when we actually went out and did a demo and heard these songs were like, it was the first time people were actually visibly impressed with what we were doing when I was like, but it was very slow, man. It's funny. I think about it. It's really only the course of like three years, but it feels, it feels like forever from sucking to being kind of good. And then by the time we did our first record, like real record, then we, when we finished it, it was like, Oh no, we're actually like actually really good. Yeah. You know? And like, we sent that in and like immediately got an offer to sign a central media records, like before the record was even out, you know, but it was like, it's so weird. Like, cause how old, it, how old are you at this point? Now I'm 41. No. Oh no, no. When, when that happened, I was 19. Yeah. Have you, have you had sex yet? Have you been laid yet at this point? Uh, yeah, I didn't lose my virginity until I was 18. You know, I was but like, right. So God forbid's already going. Yeah. But I had literally just, I had been with like one girl at that point or maybe two. It's not, and it wasn't, wasn't a groupie from a God forbid show. No, no, I, no, I, I was my girl. I had a crush on in high school, but we didn't, we didn't start dating until actually after I graduated. Okay. You know, I, I do everything late in life. I got my, <laughs> <laughs> I got my driver's license late. I'm just, I'm very like a uh, arrested development person. Lars Ulrich has a theory that uh, the reason that people are so enamored with the black album or master of puppets is because they lost the virginity to that record. That's his theory. When you sell that many records and you can't explain why you continue to sell that many, you've got to like actually think about things. Why? Like, why is this record it's, still it's, selling seven thousand copies? Because it's that a good. Fucking week, you know. But so he th- he ponders these things and he says that it's because people, you know, lost their virginity to it. What song, if there was a song, did you lose your virginity to? I don't remember. I don't remember the experience very much at all. Was there a movie playing or don't remember music? No, don't I don't, I, I don't remember. I really don't. It's not. Yeah. I don't, I just, I just remember it being like, kind of, I don't know, just, I feel, especially when you're 18, right? Like it's something you build up in your head. And I think I had this almost, which I think is pro- probably fairly common where you, you're equally fearful as you are right. wanting the thing, right. you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it feels like a different phase of of life you know um are you so drunk yeah, but, are you high are you no sober? yeah no i'm this is before i think i was even really yeah I, yeah i wasn't really into any of that stuff on that level at that point 
but no, no. It, and it's uh, my first girlfriend, Jane. We're still really good friends. Right on. Um, so like she's one of my like you know close. It feels like extended family basically. Awesome. Um, and uh, and yeah, she 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 deflowered me. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <clears throat> That's a really nice way of putting it. I'm going to have to start asking it like that. At what song did you get deflowered to? Yeah. Well, she was younger than me, which was, which was kind of, which, but it worked because she was like, like I said, it went to this private school, but it was, the school was small. Only a hundred, you know, like 30, 40 people went to oh, the wow. school. So in my grade, there's like 25 people or 28 people. So you don't have like a big social circle to actually draw from and she was like the one girl that looked like looked goth and listened to marilyn manson and was into like punk <laughs> and you know and uh yeah and you know like i said we're we're still good we're still good friends to this day you that's know right. that's right yeah and that's and i think that's a beautiful thing you know that that certain connections that you have even when you're really young speak to like oh no we still have like a lot in common and our we have compatible personalities and we care about each other like on a broader level than just romance you know yeah yeah you've had a hell of a career doc you know like going through <laughs> all this time like it's like i didn't realize how long you've been doing this <laughs> like i mean i knew i mean i know because we were touring you know at this point 18 fucking years ago on ashes and you know all that but like you know it's a long time it's fucking a hell of a career you got man I mean, it's, it's kind of all I know in a weird way, even though I did have, you know, a period, I'd say from like 2010, 11 to like, even I, I'd say to like maybe 2018, I guess a lot of the, the 2000s where I wasn't touring full time, I actually had to learn how to be not a musician, like learn how to exist in the world, working different jobs and being adaptable. It was actually really beneficial because I think I became institutionalized by the environment like I, I was dependent on needing the road or needing right. validation or or what, what whatever goes with that lifestyle need that excitement and stuff and I, I had to actually learn how to be a domestic domesticated person you know I was lacking a lot of life skills right yeah I mean yeah. you were pretty young how old were you guys in in yeah you were probably 25 or something when we were on the yeah. road together in 03 yeah, so like you're you go from pretty much like right out of high school into being in bands and then touring and touring and touring and touring, right? Yeah, yeah. But I loved it. Like it was like like when we met you, I actually was twenty three, going on twenty four. Okay. And but that's when the bit like you know you're talking. We had already been touring for like two or three years before yeah. that, but like constantly and have never been able to break through never getting to the point we wanted to so when we met you it was like we were having our breakthrough moment with gone forever and we're getting towards like that we have Ozfest lined up and it finally felt like this thing was going to happen and then when it started to happen you was like this is the this is everything i always wanted and you want to keep can keep it going continue it and it just it was this weird thing where simultaneously as we we put out our next record constitution which i think it was even maybe even a better record and we had even more opportunities and the band was finally getting this point that was almost like the beginning of the end in a weird way um unbeknownst to us like because of all these different di different things but the, I, I had this thing in my gut of just like trying to i need to keep this going i need to keep 
the band on the road and keep we need so we can you know and, and that was like this kind of attitude of desperation you know that i think ultimately was was something i had to like learn from in a way not to be because i i think a lot of the bands that did have success in our genre were the ones who were not desperate who were really like they let things more come to them and were like they don't i don't need to be on the road all the time i don't need to be you know like they were they they and they had the ability to like have a job at home or have other professions or other things so that was something i had to work through and figure out like doing it right out of high school and having nothing else to fall back on I mean, i was like i have to do this um and so there were some downsides to that as well you uh yeah, there was a period there where you were managing bands and you were doing Vegas Nerve, and I remember you give me. Yeah. I actually liked the Vegas Nerve. That was that was some good stuff. Kind of Thanks. muse ish, I guess. I don't know if that's you know what you're going for, but you had some good jams. Thanks. Yeah, and I've tried to do more stuff with that band. That was kind of when I moved to yeah, you L.A. Relocate to, you relocate to L.A. Yeah. You got any funny Ozfest stories? That must have been a fucking blast. <laughs> Man, I mean that was you. You probably can't even tell half of your. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude. I, I mean, I had this crazy time hanging with. It was so Wait, weird. What like, year is that? Is that 06? oh six? No, same year, year we toured. Oh four. Okay, oh four. Gotcha. L literally, our oh four was Machine Head tour. Got Ozfest Machine Head tour. Yeah. That was our. That was our. Two thousand four. Um, but man, I mean, I, dudes. I remember this the first day, like me and Mark Morton sitting there at the at the soundboard watching Black Sabbath and just like both literally just shaking our heads. Like, what what the how do we because dude, we had played in a fucking garage with Burn the Priest oh, you wow. know, six six years earlier. Wow, that's a long time. Holy shit. I didn't know you guys went that far back. Yeah. I mean, we dude, dude, we but we went that far back with all those bands. I mean, we played with on you know you know like 98 99 played with unearth played with throwdown played with ever to my die um all those bands we had come up together darkest hour um so it was just it, and thinking that we never would like i remember going to ozfest 01 02 and seeing you know seeing like third strike <laughs> and and like you know <laughs> right and like they opened with us too one time like this is like what what's going on yeah i'm like you know i, I don't even remember all the bands but you know they filmed a video for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. i believe like i was like 300 you could buy a house for that like yeah. that's crazy like, yeah. metal militia in there i was like whoa yeah i mean moto grader and shit like that right and you're like thinking i'm thinking we'll never be on a tour like this. Like we're not, this isn't even our world. Like even the fact that I remember when it was like, Hey, I think Hey, Breed and Meshuggah were the, and like down were like the kind of heavy, heavy bands. And, I remember that, but they all, they seemed like the outliers on the tour. They didn't seem like, like the rest of what was going on. So I never, so the fact that we were there, it was just like mind blowing. I just remember, I don't even remember what we said, but just kind of cheers in our beers or something going like, damn, man, this is, this is, you know, just a, a, a smell the roses moment are you guys um, just getting fucked up at the jaeger booth every day oh, every <laughs> day like every Dude, like all day every day here's what you gotta say this is only our second time on a tour bus and it was the first time we ever had our own tour bus it was the first time we had a full crew like it was the first time i ever had a guitar tech we got we brought willie g 
on, oh, on Twitter. That's, and all our off dates were with Slipknot, Slayer, Hatebreed playing arenas. Holy fucking crap! And it was two months. And it was two oh, months. So that was the, that was the headliners was Slipknot, Slayer. Yeah, and and, and we no no, no. Was, well the, the the main stage was Sabbath. Judas Priest reunion tour. Oh right, right. Okay. Slayer. I went to this. Yeah, yeah. Demo Boy Gear, uh, Super Joint Ritual, Zach Wild. Second stage was uh, Slipknot. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Hatebreed, Lamb of God, and then all the all the, all the okay, side stage gotcha. bands. Right. right. Um, but we, so it, basically, we got to live our fantasy. We're like, oh, this is how a normal band. This is what is normal for them, right? Just be on a bus and have a crew and. And literally, and all we do, we would just get hammered every day. Like I remember one time I got, this is, I think it's the first time it's ever happened to me where I got hung over in the middle of the day, <laughs> but I, and I like blacked out, but I was, oh I was God. like, I was like messing with like fucking BD from Hatebreed. And I think he like dirt slammed me or something or like hip checked me or threw me, threw me in like a pile of boxes. And I was just like, and I just felt like a jerk off. And I was just like, and I just went back to my bus and got, and literally had a hangover in the middle of the day. I'm just like, like, I'm like, I need to regulate myself. <laughs> but I, dude, I was doing mushroom. Like uh, I, would, I would hang with Dez from Devil Driver. And there was these like chocolate mushrooms, you know, things. And I remember I was, I was doing that like every day, but like only, but I never really got that high. I was just like, it was just, you had nothing to do but just hang out and just be like, yo, I'm on Ozfest. Right, right. You know, and that same day, the day you gave me the mushrooms, I was, I was like, uh, I was on this cart, this golf cart. It was like Paul Gray was driving and it was John Berklin and um, Jeff, Jeff Kendrick from Devil Driver. And we drove yeah. down and we went to go hang out with Zach Wild. And Zach Wild was just telling crazy ass stories. And I'm just like, I'm just sitting there, I'm like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> and Zach Wilds was like, and then he starts t- talking about Aerosmith. He's like, he's like, man, Aerosmith needs to give it up. He's like, <laughs> he's like, it's like Barry Sanders, <laughs> the football player. He's like, he was at his peak and he gave it up. He's like, but Emmett Smith, he keeps trying to go after these records. He needs to give it up, just like Aerosmith. And then he looks at me, he goes, It's like me and you, brother. <laughs> he's like, if we <laughs> He's like, if we were doing something, and we're doing it for years. He's looking me right in the eyes, right? He's doing it for years, grabbing me, you know, for years. And we're like, so he's like, you know what? We did it. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this dude is talking about, but I'm like, that's right. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck this dude's talking about. Yo, I was so, I was like, yo, I'm hanging out with Zach Wild, and yeah, I was Oaked. shit like that. He's, he's a drinking Zach too, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's he was he was looking diesel. Arm looked like football, just crushed. But I think he only drank beer. I don't think he did liquor but um i don't think he yeah drugs either good for him i don't good think yeah I, that's very hard for me to imagine <laughs> dude i was just i was just psyched you know just to be be there but it, but it's I this weird you, i bet you come home from Ozfest and you lose your girlfriend i didn't have a girlfriend oh shit you were yeah. sailing, ready to mingle yeah i was mingling um <laughs> i actually had like an on-tour girlfriend kind of okay part of the Ozfest tour like you know with the carnival people and stuff okay, she, was super, gotcha. she was super sweet um but uh yeah we always went we made the all because we took all the, like we probably took i don't know 200 grand in money or two 250 from central media we had to sign another record just to be able to get right. the tour support you had to get tour support yeah and our the only money we made so we got 
paid no money on Ozfest shows and we're probably making like two hundred fifty dollars. No <laughs> yeah, we you had to buy on, right? And then we probably buy on. You had to buy on too. Every I think every band bought on uh, the second stage except for Otep because I think Otep like was right. cool with with the uh, with the Osmonds or whatever. Um, I, I I could be wrong about that. I don't know, but but every band seventy five grand. Right, and then you have to pay to uh, to travel. Buying on for seventy five grand, and then, and you then pay for your travel and your bus, yeah. and your... And, it, and we were probably making you know two hundred dollars on our off days or something, and so our in the budget our per diem was ten dollars a day, seventy dollars a week. That's the yeah. only money we made. And then you're but, selling merch, but then there's the forty percent overhead from the venue and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't even remember. I don't even remember what happened with that money or where it went or whatever. But it was pretty hilarious but dude it was fucking great at that time but that's what i'm saying like that was a big thing too i mean that was like that was the way you set up a band back then dude and the thing about god forbid was is huge no but the thing about god forbid was we're on tour with all these bands yeah and you you'd get the scans every week and we were in the upper like tier of bands selling records right you know on that on 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 that tour and that was really like encouraging because you're out there you're it's the same playing field and you're going, man, the band is connecting all of a sudden, you know, we're selling a thousand records a week or whatever, whatever it was. And, and you could see the impact of like, you play the show, people get into the band, they buy your record. It was very like tactile and wow. like it, the band went from selling, you know, 20,000 records to 60,000 records. And it was pretty much Ozfest. And so it, it just felt like it was, it was working and it was, and it was worth it. And it put the band in a different stature, um, and yeah, it was it, it, it was great. But it also the downside was it kind of I think it spoiled the band. It made it made us think because when you start when you're playing with Slayer every day, you start thinking you're you're Slayer or you're you know you're on that level, and it's like you're not really at that level. And especially you're in the bus, you're like, well, we need to be in the bus now because we're this. We need a guitar, to, you know. And but the band hadn't right. Uh, you know, we weren't big enough in terms of drawing tickets and, and selling tickets to warrant that. Right. Um, so in some ways it kind of set us up for disaster in some ways, because we got start feeling ourselves, <laughs> you know, but it was, but it's funny. Cause like our unrecouped money to Century media, I'd say 90% of it is Ozfest, Ozfest <laughs> and the tour we did with you guys in Europe. Yeah. Right. Cause we had to take, I think like, 60 grand or something to do that tour oh my gosh or something like that because it was two it was 10 weeks it was a huge tour it was yeah. really long and you know i think we're making 500 bucks or something like that um you know so you know the expenses and it just yeah. just it just everything it's just it's just it's it's expensive to fucking tour it, it just is, is man it is and you guys had a bus that night that tour too right yeah, yeah. but you know and we shared shared it with Caliban, and it was a uh, right Caliban. For yeah, and we had this really shitty bus, and then we ended up the, the driver ended up like leaving. Like everyone was arguing with the driver. He's like, "No one would help me. No one helped me." And then we ended up getting rid of that bus, and we got a sick bus for the rest of the tour. Okay. Yeah. Then our lives improved. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, you think about that too. Like that's a lot of money to borrow from your label. Yeah, I mean all that, all that touring and stuff. And you know, the thing is, you probably couldn't get that now. There's no fucking way anybody would get that much money now to go on tour. No, a I metal mean, band selling twenty thousand records and fucking them investing 
$250,000 in tour support. But if you think about it, though, we never, if you, if you were to look at the impact, right, of like, okay, you're going to play in front of, on auspice, you're going to play from anywhere from two to 6,000 people for two months. Yeah. There was no other way to get that kind of exposure. Yeah. And, and same with Machine Head. That, and Machine Head, yeah. Some big shows on that. Yeah. Fucking tour. We're playing from anywhere from 1,000 to 4,000. 5,000. 5,000, right? Yeah. And any given day, for two, you're, and you're covering all these markets that most bands don't even go to, yeah. right? Unfortunately, in Europe, they didn't really handle the product management side and marketing side to actually tie it together to really get the impact. And so we were kind of going there with like one arm time behind our back, but in America, they were invested. It works. But if you look at those two records and we said, we never took that much money for anything else ever again, because we didn't need to. The point is to invest that money. And then now the band has a decent guarantee and you don't have to take tour support or you take, you know, 5,000 for this or 10, you know, look, you're taking small amounts of money where it makes sense, but it's about an initial big investment and do those two records gone forever in constitution each sold about a hundred thousand records yeah. now fucking good. Those are if good that's no if that's retail right so if you if you have two records that sell a hundred thousand albums and they're retail is selling for seven dollars yeah that's 1.4 million dollars so they made their money back <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so yeah, it's worth yeah, and it's worth it you know i yeah. mean i remember when we got the slayer tour we were getting paid 250 bucks a night <laughs> you know like and it's like we had to borrow hella tour support we had to we had to buy into their catering like they like that was one of the Crazy. deals like we had to split the catering with them <laughs> but you know you just do it because you're like fuck it like this is you know this is what we need to do well i i look at it it's like a college loan right mm-hmm. you got to take the hit so that you can get yourself to a level where you can actually make, make the money. Um, and it's like, uh, to me, it sucks now that we're still unrecouped. And so we're not seeing royalties on those, on those records. But at the end of the day, it's like, we signed the deal. If, if we didn't sign the deal, where, where would have God forbid it been? Yeah. I don't know. Probably, probably not anywhere. Or it wasn't like there was some other better deal out there. Yeah. And this is okay. like, you know, it's hard to imagine this, but this is like before MySpace. This is before Facebook. This is before pretty much all social, you, maybe message boards exist. Well, you know. MySpace was coming out right, right. around. Probably, 04 probably would have been coming out right yep. around. Right? Just, just breaking though. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think Friendster started in 03. Okay. And, and MySpace was, was, was right, right after that. By the next year, if you were one of those bands that was ahead of the MySpace curve, you capitalized yeah anyway this has been a great conversation and uh we've, we're almost at three hours here two hours and 40 minutes we ain't fucking around yeah we ain't fucking around i mean you pod- could do this all day podcast though pros <laughs> <laughs> fucking podcast pros god damn it well it, it, it flew by yeah dude this, me, has been, at least. this has been a fucking great conversation man like this is well, awesome. thank you and thank you for being so open with so much of your life and so much of your opinions and stuff like that. You know, a lot of times people are like, Oh, like, I don't want to talk about that. Or they'll say something and be like, Oh, can you remove all that? And this, and that, you know, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Like, where you're like, I just had a, I had a great guest on just recently and he, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but he, 
He didn't want to talk about the first time he got laid. And I was just like, oh, my God. And it was like such a great story. It was like to Slayer. He was like, I was just like, dude, I was like, this is so good. Like, why do you want to take this out? But, but uh, yeah, but you've been an awesome guest, man. And oh, it's thank been, you, man. It's been great catching it. up. We haven't caught, we haven't caught, I mean, we've caught up here and there, but it's been about like other stuff and, you know, just to kind of shoot the shit and, and reminisce and, and, and remember some of those tour times and all that. It's been, it's been fucking awesome, man. Like it's really brought back just a ton of, I mean, it brought back a ton of memories from all you guys. You know, I, you know, I hope Dallas is doing better. You know, I always loved Corey and Byron and Beaker and, you know, like it's got a lot of fond memories in my mind right now. Yeah, man. Listen, we've all been fortunate to whatever you say about our lives. They've definitely been unique. <laughs> not too, not too many people can can say they've they've kind of traveled this this path and also be kind of part of history to whatever degree that means. You know, to kind of just be, you know you were there for the scene that only you could have been there for, and I was there for the things I I could have seen and go. And you have a first person view of that and it'll never come back. Right. It was that moment, special moment in time. And, that's, and all we have is our memories and this great music and, and that's it, you know, and it's, it's, it's very, very cool and very special. And I'm just, just lucky, l- lucky that even have someone like you just as a mentor, as a friend um, is still kind of mind blowing to me. Um, and so I'm just, just, just happy to be still be here. Cause I know how easy it is to, not be doing this or not be a part of this community so right totally well thanks for that man cheers All right. thank you for having me ladies and gentlemen that right there the mighty mighty doc coil god forbid bad wolves no fucking with rob flynn